Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us.com. This week we've got a special episode. We're going into the Academy Awards. Boo! Coming up on Sunday, February 26th. And we're going to talk about, instead of predicting what's going to win, we already have an article up on the site. TJ and myself, David, go through the Oscar picks. We're going to vote for what we think should win. A list to kind of represent the site and what we want to win. Yeah, representing yeah. The, the media bias takes on what our ballot would be, what we mm. would vote for, based on what we've seen and, in uh, some of our cases, what we haven't seen but are voting for anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then the problem with this is that we don't agree on, 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 on everything. I don't so know if you've there, heard... There will be some debating. Yeah, Brent's incendiary opinions on La La Land. <laughs> we'll try to keep the the swearing to a maximum and racial slurs. Yeah, this one, this we'll one definitely going to have definitely going to have language in this one. I'm not your negro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, edit point. <laughs> all right, so we're going to go through all the categories. We're going to tell you what the nominees are, and then tell you our picks and come to a consensus on what our ballot looks like. So first off, we're going to talk through the shorts, and we'll spend a short amount of time on these. <laughs> uh, first up, we'll do best animated short film. We got uh, Blind Vasha, Borrowed Time, Pear Cider and Cigarettes, Pearl, and Piper. I kind of want Pear Cider and Cigarettes to win just because... What my, a com- my lady friend likes both those things. <laughs> <laughs> what a combination. Yeah. And just, just as, a, as, a, as a brief aside, I think total between the four of us, we've seen four of the 15 shorts. I've seen one animated short. And I've seen three documentary I've shorts. I've seen zero out of 15. I have also seen zero out of 15. I saw Piper when, it, uh, when we went to the theater to see Finding <clears throat> Dory. Piper's the Pixar nom in animated short film. It was really good and it was really sweet. Yeah. All right, you sold me on it. You want to go to a, a kind of vote for it? <laughs> I don't know. I might vote on Pear Cider and Cigarettes just off the name alone. Didn't you say Blind Vasho was the one that was uh, woodcutting? Yeah, I heard that it was like exclusively woodcuttings. I don't even know what that means. This is way too early and unimportant to us, as having seen only four of these, for us to split our votes (laughs) between what we think is the coolest. We shouldn't have a four-way fucking tie. (laughs) Our first category. I'm going to go Piper, because Find Dory didn't get nominated. So yeah, I'll vote Piper. I think Pixar is really deserving. The little studio that could. (laughs) That's a vote for Piper? Yes. From Chris? And I'll go Piper also because I don't really care. Thank God I can still get blind fashion. <laughs> Cause good luck. Yeah. Next short film. All right, we will go to live action short film. Live action short film. We have uh, Enemy Interior, La Femme et la TGV. I think that's how you do the French. It's TGV. I'm realizing that those are the initials of the creator's name, so it's. Oh, you sold me. Yeah. Um, we have Silent Nights. We have uh, Sing, and we have Time Code, not to be confused with Time Cop. <laughs> I, go, I go in Time Code because the plot sounds riveting. Luna and Diego are the parking lot security guards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go Time Code. This is the one where none of us have seen any of these, right? Yeah, correct. I'm okay for Time Code for those reasons. I'm okay for it because you said it's like Time Cop. Yeah. Oh, wait, not like Time Cop. Yeah, right. I still vote for it. As the dissenter, I'm going with uh, La Femme et la... <laughs> right. Way to pick what you know how to say, at least. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so next we have Best Documentary Short Subject. Nominees are Extremis, 4.1 Miles, Joe's Violin, Watani, My Homeland, 
in the white helmets. I didn't know you were from Watani. <laughs> 4.1 miles does not sound like that short of a subject. That would probably wear me out after a while. Um, so I have seen three of these. I've seen Extremis, I've seen Joe's Violin, and I've seen the White Helmets. And just a brief, very brief synopsis of the subjects. Extremis is about um, end-of-life care. Joe's Violin is about a man who donates his violin through a project, and it ends up in the hands of a young girl in New York City. Um, and his violin, he bought um, it, and the violin survived, either survived through the Holocaust or he got it as soon as he um, escaped from his, um, you know, dire situation. Is he Joe or is the girl Joe? He's Joe. All right. Yeah. Um, and then the White Helmets is about a volunteer Syrian, uh, basically like ambulance force, who responds immediately after air raids and goes to try and pull bodies out of the rubble. So real, real uplifting subjects this year. My take, my favorite. I'll say it at the end, because I don't want to sway anyone's opinions. People can vote on what they think. I'll go Joe's Violin off what you said. Sounds fun. You say Joe's Violin was related to Holocaust? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> See, but I the think way- I know why all these are short subjects. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this just how it stays down. <laughs> I don't think you can handle two hours of it. I, I watched these basically back-to-back, and it was a rough afternoon. But my, my, my vote, I said I wouldn't do this, but my vote is the White Helmets. Wow, that's my vote, too. I also vote the White Helmets. <laughs> um, Me too. Okay. Yeah. Le Helmet Blanc. It's Syrian. <laughs> but, Syrian Blanc. <laughs> but now that we're through the uh, shorts, TJ and I are going to undertake um, all of these, all 15, um, in a session probably Saturday before the Oscars. And we will have a write-up similar to the TJ David What We Think Is Going To Win um, about what we liked, what we didn't. Yeah, we'll have it up Sunday morning. morning before the Oscars. Yeah, but so we're not making fun of these categories. We just haven't seen them yet. So is that, does White Helmets carry it? Do it does. Everyone vote for it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these these awards are supposed to, these picks are supposed to speak for the site. And since mm-hmm. Chris has seen them and I have not, I'm okay with Chris speaking for me. Sure. Sure. All right, going into the next category, which uh, some of these we've uh, we've at least seen one of these movies, all of us. So starting with uh, best visual effects, the nominees are Deepwater Horizon, Doctor Strange, The Jungle Book, Kubo and the Two Strings, and Rogue One: A Star Wars Story. You want to do an initial vote and then talk about it? I like that. Yep. All right, I vote for oh, this is tough. I'm between two. I'll vote Jungle Book. I'm voting for Kubo and the Two Strings. It is really tough. I really, the only one I could really rule out, I haven't seen Deepwater. I could rule out Rogue One. The other three are all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to vote with, uh, I'm going to vote with Kubo. Kubo. Yeah. I, I, I've said in private conversations with everyone, if Kubo were a 10th nominee, um, I would, I would take Kubo in the middle of my best picture list. I think um, we, we were all surprised by how, Great that movie was. Yeah. yeah. I've I've seen a few Leica Studio Leica movies, mm-hmm. but there's just something like this I know the storytelling isn't important for best visual effects, but it is in Kubo because it's all all of the anecdotes and all of the character that you get through Kubo is in him with his paper craft and them animating such something so small and then also that giant like how big was that thing? It was like 60, 70 feet yeah. tall. The skeleton. Yeah. yeah. Not to write off 
the time and energy that went into the Jungle Book and Doctor Strange, the other two that I think were super deserving, but the work that went into Kubo is so impressive to me. Yeah. I think I'm the only one of us who have seen all five of these. I haven't seen Rogue One. I would definitely agree with that take in that uh, Doctor Strange, the Jungle Book, and Kubo set themselves apart. For me, Rogue One is a distant fifth, Deepwater Horizon is a distant fourth, and those three are really phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and I think think the, the thing that impressed me the most about the Jungle Book was that it was the first movie I've seen in a long time that had animals talking and their mouths moving to the words and it not seeming like... Uh, what's it? Uh, Hidden Valley, not Hidden Valley Ranch. (laughs) 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 Like Homeward Bound, or (laughs) yeah, like sassy. No, it wasn't like it didn't seem very CGI and fake. Yeah, it was really well done. It was. It was Um, really impressive. So to kind of segue into David making a case for Jungle Book, because I really do want to hear that. I'm really annoyed by animals that talk when their mouths move in live action movies, and Jungle Book didn't annoy me. Yeah, I think. I guess my Um, case would be. You know, I love the hand craft of Kubo. I guess I would say that the, the the comparison the Jungle Book has up against it is like 70 years of doing this wrong and making this feel flat. And the, you get the real emotion coming from these CGI characters mm-hmm. almost exclusively. The kid's really good in it. But to be able to pull off these these characters against a backdrop of it's always, like you say, like... You know, it's a still shot of a dog and its lips are moving or there's very little movement. And this one you have, they feel real, they feel like actual characters moving and talking. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a lot of times I think they save money by having, like, the dog is sitting when moving or, you know, it's kind of an over-the-shoulder shot. They're really incorporated like actual actors. Mm -hmm. And... The, the artistry of it is just that it seems, it's seamless. After like five minutes, you don't even notice the visual effects, which I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of visual effects. Not all the visual effects, but visual effects where it assists the movie to just feel like a movie, not like an explosion factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's one thing on the, that I think Kubo did so well was the stop motion on it was seamless. It did not feel like stop motion. There were times where it seemed purely animated or purely live action, but like stop motion, the whole the whole thing is a mixture throughout. And it's a pretty seamless transition. I mean, it's it's a it. Yeah, I couldn't tell at times what was mm. what was what, and, and that was really impressive. Yeah, gone are the days of like the really kind of jittery, you know, stop motion like Nightmare Before Christmas. Not to deride that, but you know that claymation style where you know you look like you're dropping frames. There's, it doesn't look like there's a single drop frame in Kubo no. where they jumped the animation too far. In fact, it's stunning that it was stop motion. <clears throat> yeah. And you guys are, you guys are kind of convincing me here. I may, I may have my vote up for sale, mm-hmm. but Kubo just like it nails the special effects in every aspect. In the tiny scenes, like like you're saying, sometimes it's jittery with stop motion. The stop motion facial features, like the mother biting her lip while like concealing some truth to the sun mm-hmm. is just real tiny stuff or arching eyebrows on a character yeah. to the huge stuff like the 60 foot skeleton yeah. and like the really flashy stuff like the the folding origami stuff is just yeah. magical in that yeah. movie the magic the story that he's telling in the beginning and the, so the, the leaf boat coming together and boat. you yeah. know mm-hmm. coming apart later on by the way, spoilers throughout this entire podcast. Yeah, yeah. Watch these movies. Yeah. <laughs> or, or spoiler, there's a leaf boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Re- re- revote on on visual. Do we need to? 
I think uh, I think we got an absolute consensus. I think I'm with Kubo. I, I'm all. It's one of my favorite movies of the year of the last couple of years. Yeah. Best yeah. best uh, represent representation of that medium like from the dawn of those kind of movies. Yeah. Seems kind of. And if I'm in a guild, if I'm streaming, I know what's going to happen with animation, so I want to give this movie something too. Yeah. And I think it's deserving. I don't think I'm, I'm reaching to give it the support. Yeah. Sure. All right. Next category, we have uh, best film editing. Uh, nominees are Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, La La Land, and Moonlight. So we want to go for an initial vote. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for for the uh, for the, the the dummy mercy. Um, just describe what a film editing would award. Ooh, that, that's in, in lay terms. Yeah, sometimes they they go for different uh, kind of archetypes for the category, but I think it's typically how the movie is put together, paced. And kind of how the scenes fit together. Yeah. Some of that is screenplay, like how they write it. Yeah. But, but it's also, so it feels like a, a seamless kind of movie. Right. Sometimes it's like big action movies, like last year, Mad Max Fury Road got it. Because there was, you know, all kinds of stuff going on in that movie. Yeah. But a film editor is typically putting everything together. You know, putting multiple takes, choosing them along with the director. It's very collaborative. You know, yeah, a lot of directors that like work with this editor only. Yep. Yeah, because it's such a team in the edit bay that they're monitoring. Same with uh, a lot of these categories go hand in hand with other stuff. Right, but it's kind of how a movie is put together and laid out visually. Yep, I guess a little bit and how it connects with the music, how it connects with other parts of it. Okay, are transitions really important to editing? Yes. Is that, okay. So good star wipes are. Yeah, if, if some, but then like we get weird ones that like Birdman. Uh, it didn't win that. It wasn't even nominated, right? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, like, right. transitions were fantastic in Birdman because there weren't any really. Yeah, yeah, but the whole conceit yeah. of that movie was like it looks like there's no takes, which ended up people not voting for it because it said, oh, they didn't really have to edit anything. Versus, it was completely seamless. Right, like, they edited multiple takes and to look like one long take. Yeah. Right. Kind of throughout the movie. So with that being said, this is one of the more complicated categories to kind of think about. Do mm. uh, we have an initial vote? I guess I will go with... I'm going to go with La La Land. Uh, mine, mine is definitely up for grabs, but I think right now I'm leaning Arrival. Yeah, um, Arrival is my number two, but I'm also going with La La Land here. I want to say that I am able to be persuaded, but I will say La La Land. Mm. I think Arrival is my number two as well. I think... A lot of us, it's between those two movies for me. Yeah, me too. Mm. I wouldn't be mad at either one. I love, like, La La Land, the editing is fantastic. It's the same, same guy who edited Whiplash, and I love the editing in that movie. How, like, the editing makes you feel, like, anxious, and it kind of goes with the goes with the music. It really conv- helps convey that tone, like, how the film is put together. without being disjointed, kind of. Yeah, it really goes, good. like, from different perspectives of the, the filming, of the drumming, up close stuff, you know, far away, kind of cutting like that. Whereas in La La Land, I think the focus of the editing is kind of, you know, lays out a little fairy tale. Like how things are put together. There are some long takes mixed with some flashy scenes. And I think it kind of... I got some feelings about the movie in terms of hierarchy of everything. But as far as it doing that, I think it does it very well. It, it flows pretty well yeah. with going for these wild, wild uh, extremes of long take tap dance to these really kind of surreal fantasy scenes. I get that. And I think that... I, I was impressed by the same things in La La Land. I think this is one of those areas where... Like you said, things kind of go hand in hand. And for me, I'm sort of, when it comes to La La Land, I'm just wanting to go ahead and throw all the credit to Damien Chazelle. 
the director. And for Arrival, I'm putting it more on the editing. I kind of feel the same. And it's it's a like you said, it's a fine line between what is the director and what is the editing and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And I was really impressed with Chazelle's direction. Uh, I just I don't know. I really liked the uh, the flow of Arrival. I thought it. In, in in spots, it was sort of allowed to breathe, whereas in other areas, the editing made it seem more uh, frenetic. She started having, you know, she sees the alien thing right in front of her, and she thinks it's 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 right in front of her, and it's just a vision, and it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, the edits where she looks down, she sees her daughter. I really liked the I really liked that aspect of it. Yeah, I I, I like your take there. Kind of with La La Land, I think the editing. Kind of takes a back seat and lets everything kind of flow and mm-hmm. breathe. Versus in Arrival, I think it's front and center. The yeah. editing is what makes the kind of the dual narrative mm-hmm. that keeps the mystery of it and it's also like makes a, it's it almost a character. Yeah, yeah. it makes it flow perfect. Yeah. When I watched Arrival, the editing was the the aspect of the movie that most impressed me. Yeah, yeah. And, like and, you splice in those little sense memory things. Mm-hmm. I think that they're done perfectly well. And, you don't dwell on any part of it too long. And and the thing that I like about the like in particular. Is and this is a big spoiler for Arrival. So if you haven't seen Arrival, you know, throw this podcast in the garbage. But there's like the the way that you are deceived by the flow of time in that movie mm-hmm. is entirely on you. There's nothing yeah. like yes. yeah. the first scene of that movie is her daughter is dying, mm-hmm. and then the next scene is it shows Amy Adams walking to her classroom yeah. before the arrival and. You, as the viewer, just assume that because of that, like, quick cut after that scene, that, like, this must be a linear progression. Yes. Some conversations she has with her mother, too, where you think she pretty much tells her mom, like, I'm still depressed because my baby died. Yeah. But she says nothing of the, like, it's all just, like, same old, same old, what do you want? Yep. Like, yeah. it really, and then when you go back to it, you're like, actually, that was just a phone conversation that we all have with our mom. I love yeah. how it's all, like, it doesn't purposely hide things. Like, maybe some M. Night Shyamalan movies purposely yeah. kind of try to deceive you for the twist. Yeah. This is all, it's your expectation bringing into it. Yeah. Because it's, it's completely, you know, you, I haven't seen it twice, but if you see it again, everything is probably completely out there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't trick you. <clears throat> you trick yourself. That's yeah. really well said. I think I, I may be getting swayed. Yeah, and, I'm, and I, I said my, I voted for La La Land, and my, and my vote is up for grabs. But when you were talking about the fairy tale that La La tells, and that that it tells it well, I think that is that is great praise for La La Land, and probably for the screenplay. But and I only say that because with the same amount of time and with the budget as big, Arrival tells a very difficult story to tell, and not difficult, yes. not very difficult much. in like the plot devices, but in. Forcing you to like in 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 the, in the deception, and I think that is a lot of cutting room floor decisions. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really not, good, and, and, and not overplaying your hand yeah. for which scenes you're doing because if it, you overplay it, it it's kind of you know a gimmick turns into independence. Versus, it's really subtle the yeah. the interplay of the flashback and the current. I'll also say this: I, I think I'm the biggest arrival fan of the four of us, but I, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be fighting for arrival on every category like this. Like uh, I'll, I'll probably fight as strongly for Chazelle for the same reasons y'all talked about mm-hmm. La La Land for editing. Yeah, I think it depends on how you look at editing, though. Like, yeah. so you have the one hand you have arrival where the editing plays a huge part in the movie. It's front and center. Yeah, you watch it the first time, Very much you so. you notice it, yeah. and then in La La Land you get this like you don't even notice it's there. It's so right. Good. It is. It's really um, good. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a is, light touch. Yeah. 
And I, I thought the editing, there are a lot of aspects of Hacksaw Ridge that I didn't like, but I thought the editing was good. I had it at number three when I ranked them for editing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I liked the editing in Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's the marks against it for me are the hard act breaks. Yeah. Um, not that it, that it detracts from the movie, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's what they're going for, but I, right. you know, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's and it's similarly like like fences doesn't make this list, um, and it, it has like hard act breaks. But do we want to revote? See where we stand. We may have flipped completely. Hello. I think I'm arrival now. Arrival. I'm gonna stay La La Land. I'm, I'm arrival. Okay. It's and I think and I think the only knock against your final point for La La Land, there are two separate points in La La Land. Where they do like the like, well, let me tell you how we got here. Where they do like the the quick rewind, and it's like, well, now we're going to tell from this other character's perspective. Uh-huh. And they do that a couple times. And not that it's bad yeah. in La La Land, but good in Arrival. It's just like they're both doing the same thing, but a similar thing of like um, an alternative narrative that you know you're forced into because of perspective. Um, and I just thought that Arrival did it. Slightly better. Yeah. Also, like yeah. Moonlight, you kind of have the seasonal breaks too mm-hmm. in La La Land, where it's like you know spring, winter, yeah. where you're clearing the floor, and it's like all right, new set of scenes. Yeah. Versus, you know, I think Arrival is kind of seamlessly goes on as a movie. They're yeah, they are the clear top two to me. Yeah, and a lot, I mean, it's a lot of these technical awards are going to come down to that. Mm-hmm. Is is like you know. Yeah, there's, like, there's who's, who's the best bass player? Like, is it the dude from The Who who, like, invented ways to play the bass and was front and center? Or is it, like, John McVie who you never knew was in Fleetwood back? You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's also it's like, just hard. It's like, uh, you know, what's the best album of the year? Is it, like, Beyonce or this heavy metal album? Yeah. It's like, that may be the best heavy metal album of the year. There's different right. ways to yeah. do yeah. great editing. Which is why the Grammys suck. Yes, but I think we have... <laughs> we have <laughs> very much true. So I think we have... Three votes to one for yeah. arrival, so I think we're calling it. Yeah, and I think that I think that when we end up tabulating anyone who wants to make sure that their their choice where they have a loud dissenting voice, like we make sure that that's there. Yeah, sure. Not a tie, yeah. but a dissenting voice. Like we're 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 there for you. We'll go Scotus on this mug. <laughs> <laughs> I want to vote for arrival, but for not the same reasons. Yeah. I want to vote for arrival, but I don't want to be. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to be partnered up with this jackman. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I think this may be a little less discussion. Uh, best costume design. We have uh, Allied, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Foreign, <laughs> Florence Foster Jenkins. Fluffo Jenks. Fluffo Jenks. Jackie and La La Land. All right, initial vote. Let's start with TJ. I'm taking Jackie. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I was just... Moving it along, not implying you're voting for La La Land for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jackie. TJ votes Jackie. Jackie, not La La Land. Jackie. I- I'll vote Jackie. Yeah, I'm voting Jackie as well. Jackie. I thought the, the, the costume stood out. Yeah, it was well done. It was, it was really, really, really mm-hmm. good. Plus, you have a, you know, maybe it's easy, maybe it's tougher. You have a historical comparison to match. Yeah. But not match it with clothes that look vintage. They have to look new, and you know they got to fit, and they're yeah. very classic style, like the yeah. pink dress with the pillbox hat when yeah. JFK was shot. That's like something you got to freaking nail. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think any of us say which which president was shot. I don't think any of us have seen Allied, um, but discounting Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them because obviously they'll get into like the more fantastical stuff. But I think the Allied would would also probably be. A similar, you know, consideration because it is a sure. period piece, um, and to make those costumes look good, 
you need to find the fabric that they used when they made them then and make them now with that so that they're new and vintage I was, um, and authentic. Also, I thought the, the costumes in La La Land were really good, but I think it was more the vision behind them were, that was good rather than the execution of them. It yes, could be the cinematography and highlighting them. Like At the mm-hmm. end of the day, yeah. I don't yeah. think that the, the costumes in La La Land are anything that revolutionary. At the same point, though, like when I think of La La Land, I do think of like Emma Stone's yellow dress. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really bright in my mind, but I think that could be you know cinematography direction, yeah, right. versus you know impeccable costume design. Right, Emma Stone and her friends, red, blue, and green. Yeah, like, yeah. and her that could be the, her friends' names too. For all yeah. you know. <laughs> Red, blue, green. We're going yeah, we, to a party. Right, yeah, four, the first four for four. Right? Yeah, right. who knew good. that our first consensus was going to be costume design? <laughs> Most people probably. Yeah, probably. All right, uh, this one's going to be controversial. We have best makeup and hairstyling. <laughs> we have uh, a man called Irva. Of we have Star Trek Beyond, and we have Suicide Squad. Brent. So going for an initial vote. Uh, okay, I know nothing about A Man Called Ove, and that is unfortunate because you seem to like that movie. I have seen trailers for Star Trek Beyond, and I have seen Suicide Squad. And the one thing I will not do is award Suicide Squad for, the vote <laughs> for any sort of good know, thing good thing for filmmaking. It's a personal Brent boycott. So, it boils down to zebra face person from Star Trek Beyond, or a movie I've never seen anything from. So I guess I'm picking Star Trek Beyond, but please talk me into it. Yeah, I'm going Star Trek Beyond, but I can totally be swayed into a man called Eve. I've seen I've seen Star Trek and Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that those those two also. If David's the only person who's seen a man called I think it's Eve. Eve. I'm not sure. You've seen the movie, you probably know better. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember um, but but in the same breath, I don't think David has seen Star Trek or Suicide Squad. I've seen, like Brent, I've seen the trailer for Star Trek Beyond. I know it's the, you know, the zebra face girl is the big thing for okay. it. But, but that being said, I understand your protest for Suicide Squad, and I'm not saying that I'm casting my vote for it, but this isn't film editing, this isn't screenwriting, yeah, no. this is makeup and hairstyling. Yeah. Um, but uh, bitterness on my part. And there's, and there's a little more than zebra face girl in, um, zebra face woman. Sorry. In, uh... <laughs> In Star Trek Beyond. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all the other stuff that's in every Star Trek movie, which is always well done. Yeah, so I'm going to vote Star Trek Beyond. And my vote, unsurprisingly, is for a man called Eva. <laughs> Should I change my vote? Should we change our vote? Is there, are you passionate? I w- I'm very passionate about it. Um, this is one kind of like visual effects where the makeup and hairstyling is not, you know, it's it kind of fades into the background and lets the characters be characters. Kind of like Kubo, you don't really, you know, you don't really process the visual effects, it just becomes a story. Don't try and use Kubo against us. <laughs> Y'all love Kubo. This is like Swedish Kubo. Yeah, I vote for Swedish Kubo. <laughs> now, the reason for the, the makeup and hairstyling is they have this 50-year-old actor playing like a 60, 70-year-old guy, and they do old man makeup. You know, that that's one before. Uh, the thing that's really interesting about it is they did it in a way that you don't even understand that it's makeup from the very beginning of the, of the movie. You kind of, I've kind of looked at stills afterwards. The other thing they did is it's kind of like uh, you know Dallas Buyers Club a couple years ago. Very limited budget creating this effect that kind of seeps into just enjoying the movie, enjoying the characters. The other thing they did is they had to figure out makeup because this guy, uh, a man called Ove, is a cantankerous old guy. And he's always yelling at people. 
they figured out a way to do makeup and old man prosthetics where they could still make his face face go red when he's angry. So it uh-huh. kind of yeah. His, his cheeks still go, his forehead still vein out, even though he's wearing prosthetics throughout his whole face. And it's, you know, why didn't they just get an old guy to play him? <laughs> I don't that, know. That is the question? That, that is Labor the question. Labor laws in Sweden. <laughs> but it, it's it's very interesting how they how they do it. And you really it really takes on the... The actor who does it's really good. It takes on the physicality. But his expressions of anger are so central to that movie and how it evolves throughout it that... I think it's seamless how they do that. And I've only seen the trailer for Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. Boy, I'm... That's I'm, a really I'm, good song. I mean, I, I have to be swayed by that, because still all I know about the one I previously voted for <laughs> is Zebraface Woman. <laughs> so... Zebraface Actress. Actress. Um, and, and to be fair, I'm not, I'm not a hard sell for Star Trek Beyond either, um, even though I've seen it, because I think that I watched lots of visual effects and makeup and hairstyling back before the guilds had selected nominees. Mm -hmm. So I watched a lot of unnecessary movies. So in comparison, uh, Star Trek Beyond with Warcraft and with Independence Day Resurgence and a lot of other movies that um, it was in the same bucket with, um, Star Trek Beyond was like the best of that bracket. Um, But as far as makeup and hairstyling, you know, A Man Called Eve sounds like a great time. It was a good sell. I'll, I'll flip for it. Yeah, the, the, the red face thing made did it for me. If you're lying about that, yeah, they're, they're gonna come back for you. <laughs> this, this thing about selling that is selling that the makeup and hairstyling is so good. I mean, you're not going to notice it. So it's not like a, where's all the makeup? <laughs> yeah, I'll vote for uh, for for Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> Academy Award nominated. Wow, you flipped three votes, David. Pretty good. good. I'm. I'm uh, that's twice now we're, we've flipped three votes. I'm emotional. Yeah, we had dug our heels in on that one. All right, next category <laughs> we have uh, Best Cinematography. This is a good one. I think we all love good cinematography. Mm, yeah. The nominees are Arrival, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Silence. So again, do we want to go for an official, uh, initial vote here? Yeah, My, mine is well. Moonlight. Mine is La La Land. Mine is La La Land. Mine is Moonlight. Ooh. Ah, 2v2. 2v2. Mm. Post versus the world. Mine is Lion. 2 <laughs> <laughs> <Two>, 1 1. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe besides production design and director, this might be the, the award that I think La Land earns the most. This is where I award them for that. Even though it didn't emotionally connect to me, that bridge scene in La La Land, uh, I think this is. The cinematography in it was was yeah. fantastic. And the um, cinematography when they do the tap dance and their initial love thing with the actual skyline of LA. I mean, La La Land's my number two. Yeah, and also for the sake of debate, for two awards now that La La Land's lost, we've two of y'all have said like that could be cinematography though. Yeah, for yeah. for costumes and for editing. So yeah, you know, I mean, it's got to be something. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent on Moonlight. Yeah, I know. I was just, just yeah. making a Moonlight is a really making a pretty film. Like it's it's beautiful. It, it is yeah. beautiful. It's and very both, intentionally shot. Yeah, yeah, both of them are. Both of them are so reliable. Moonlight is like gorgeous too. Color mm-hmm. in, I, I, on the screen. Moonlight's my number two. I would say yeah. my case for Moonlight is it takes these really common scenes and settings. You have no surrealistic scenes. You have no things on piers or in the clouds or anything. 
It is like, you know, inner city Miami. It is a playground where a bully is circling. It is a restaurant, a Cuban restaurant. And it makes those things seem like, you know, magical, realistic with how they're shot. Mm. You know, Juan has the quote early on, like, in Moonlight, it makes black boys look blue. And that is like the, like, kind of the through line throughout it. That's the you original play's title, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in the end, you know, he said you got to understand, you have to figure out for yourself who you're going to be. And I just think the cinematography lines up with the whole visual style for the movie of, I don't know, it really kind of elevates these really common settings into something that's like almost magical. And how the, uh, you know, when they're at the beach and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, that I'll almost have the exact same argument in my head before you started that for La La Land. Mm-hmm. That it takes these magical places and makes them even more magical. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it makes the skyline of L.A. look like I've never seen it before. Uh, one of the the big dance number between between Gosling and Stone. I really like the shot also of uh, of Gosling when he's in the, when he's playing the piano at the at the in the restaurant and she comes in at the end. That, it's uh, so symmetric. Both of those they're they're, yeah. they're similar. The one where they meet when she first meets him. Yes. That scene where where it comes in and it's a very wide shot. You see tables on the right. You see tables on the left. And I think even in the foreground, you see Gosling sort of by himself amidst people that don't get him. And then the way it comes in at the end, uh, he's it's also the wide shot, and it, he's sort of surrounded by people who now get him and, and love what he's doing. Yeah, this great shot, too, coming up from uh, the ground almost when he's trying to teach her about jazz. Uh, when he, you know, it's not just background music, and while they talk over it, and he, like, leans in front of the band playing to tell mm-hmm. her about how she needs to pay attention to jazz more. It's yeah. not just background music. And you get this shot coming up, and it's just like him jumping in the way, which is kind of the, the obnoxiousness of that character mm. shot really well. I thought. Yeah, for me, as as kind of like you know, I'm not a director or cinematographer. It is kind of hard to draw the difference between what is direction and what is cinematography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could see sacrificing one for cinematography, going for one for directing. You're going to horse uh, trade again? Well, I will say, I'm, okay I'm, I'm, not, I'm not horse trading. Yeah, you're setting say, up dominance. Well, I keep thinking of things in Moonlight that just stand out to me. Like, there's the, I guess, how shots are framed, right? You have the shot of the, you know, the bully who's picking who he wants uh, Kevin to beat up. Yeah. Where it just, like, circles around him. You know, I like how the shot framing builds up that tension. And also the tension of, of uh, when Little is a, a kid... And he's talking to his, his mom shouting at him, and it's completely mute. You just yeah. have the music. And she's like, uh, I don't know how they did it, but she's kind of in the frame, kind of going almost into the camera yelling. And you got him framed small against the just the regular you know room of the apartment. Yeah. How it yeah. Cuts between and see, I, I, I read a lot about this because I felt, felt so strongly about La La Land and, and Moonlight, too. I mean, I thought those are the clear top two out of these, I think. Um, but... I feel like I had to, or I didn't have to, I ended up taking framing and pretty much giving that to the director and cinematography, making it more lighting and use of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I'm, the cinematographer just doesn't, from reading, like, put the camera anywhere. He doesn't set the scene. That's right. the director. I did that, and I was like, okay, so La La Land. And then I was like, well, damn, Moonlight has the use of color that's almost, I mean, it's it's it's, it's almost just as good for me. Yeah, and I think I think that, that your point that is, that is most salient with me is that you know, in in Moonlight, uh, Moonlight makes black boys look blue. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of that, almost like uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, where there's these like really like bright, out of place colors, kind of framing the characters. Um, 
So, like, you'll have, uh, like, even just, like, the poster to this movie, you've got the three cross-sections of the faces as little or mm-hmm. Sharon grows older, and the different colors, and those kind of reflect that. And it's that subtle, muted use of color um, from, you know, black, not the skin color, but just, like, generally. Uh-huh. Um, and then, in contrast with, with La La Land, you're taking, like, these bright reds, bright blue, bright yellow... Like, even, like, her pale skin and her, like, red hair. Uh-huh. And just, like, it's so amplified. It, it's, like, almost super saturated. Um, that I think really makes it more than just a kind of interesting love story um, with some catchy songs into, like, a good musical. Yeah. I think both both these movies are definitely the, the top two in this category. They do the same kind of thing of elevating a story into, like, a magical, realistic... Yeah. You know, story and the cinematography helps it. But to your point, TJ, it's a good point. Like, it's hard to draw that line. But if you're talking about, you know, a cinematographer is a director of photography, and you know, it's the you know the lighting and whatnot. There's a definite big theme of you know things getting lit and other things sort of fading out throughout La La Land. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Emma Stone or Gosling will get lit. The background just fades into oblivion, mm-hmm. and you may go into a realistic scene. Um, I think it's very well done. It yeah. could be kitschy, you know. It could be kind of campy how they do that, and it kind of pulls that off. I think. Yeah. I think both movies absolutely nailed what they were trying to do yeah. with the cinematography. Yes. A plus plus. So I have no recourse but to do a little horse trading. I think, and <laughs> so I'm willing to flip to Moonlight on this. Yeah. Because I, I'm not going to be willing to flip that way. I think later. Right. Maybe. I mean, I'm not here, but I totally yeah. get it. Really impressed so far that y'all haven't picked anything that's bottom three on any category. <laughs> Nobody's voted for anything. Just wait. Well, well, <laughs> just wait, buddy. Well, I'm glad we've met your expectations. Wait till we. Uh, wait till gets to the end. You're, all, you're all assholes. But. Uh, I, I don't want to set up a thing where we keep where we're trading votes here because it's supposed to be a ballot. But I I am willing to accept La La Land. I mean, it's my clear number two. No, I mean, I just just revote. I think that's fine. I mean, I think we we made cases. But Moonlight, it's, it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard because they both you're, went for exactly right. completely different like, things. They saw they their goal and they nailed it. fucking hit it hard. Yes. Yeah, both of them. Um, but we can, we can revote. I'm going to stick with Lala. How about Brent? Moonlight. Chris? I have a hard time with, you know, I've been quieter for cinematography because I'm not as, uh, you know, on the bleeding edge of, you know, the history of cinematography or like what these cinematographers do, who they stick with. Um, James Laxton, the cinematographer from Moonlight, is apparently... Um, that director's cinematographer. Yeah, I think it's kind of like editing. They, they yeah. follow. Yeah. yeah, Linus Sangren for La La Land, he's probably not uh, Damien Chazelle's number one choice. Yeah. Um, and that they could make that work and as a musical, I think that the degree of difficulty I'm at least willing to give to La La Land. The next thing that... that I think La La Land also balances... It does have more... More, like what I'm talking about earlier, more ex- extremes, like mm. the editing or whatnot, different kinds of things they're playing, interior kitchen sink drama stuff with like the, yeah. you know, the argument versus huge expansive stuff like L.A. Skyline or, you know, fly- <laughs> flying throughout the air in a, you know, magical realistic thing. And we haven't even touched on the end of La La Land, which is a cinematographer's like wet dream of framing all these little short films. Yeah. Like the silhouette scene, mm-hmm. you have Fantastic. them running, you know, side scrolling through the, the fake soundstage. Yeah. You have them setting up stages and walking like through fake stuff. Like a miniature town of Paris, town, city of Paris. <laughs> Yeah, a tiny town of Paris. Um, and it's not something like short. It's it's hard. It's really hard. 
Yeah. But what do you vote? I'm probably not going to vote for Moonlight in director later. So I'm probably going to give it cinematography here. So we're 2-2. Two, two. So Chris and I both flipped. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, my, I originally cast my vote for Moonlight. And I'm not, like, stuck in for either. I think that. I think we would all go for either. Yeah. You know? And, well, except yeah. for TJ. T, T, I think TJ Yeah, no, I'm most... hard on, on. I think Moonlight is second. Yeah. I just think it's also really good. Just, just as, as a brief aside, I think that I would my list would go as follows: probably Arrival, Silence, Lion. After one of those being one of La La Land or Moonlight being the top two, I've got Arrival than Lion. I oh, haven't seen Silence. I would also have Arrival third. Yeah, me as yeah. well. I as well. <laughs> but yeah, I well, mean, since, since my reasoning was the 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 worst for flipping, I, I will go back to La La Land because I was. I mean, you know. If, if it's a blind vote with no other votes being considered, I probably yeah. vote for La La Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just I did really like the argument about the especially the diner scene is is really is yeah. really impressive. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, but uh, you're right with the, the the silhouettes and all the there's just so many big cinematic moments in La La Land. There's so much so much that you have to do as a cinematographer mm-hmm. taking a freeway in the middle of the day. Yeah, and taking. What looks like one I can't. shot. Anybody who was involved in that scene, just it's God bless them. And yeah. if you're talking about cinematography as like lighting, you have no control. That was actually shot on the freeway. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have the you know the ambient weather. They have one weekend with, too. You have the sun. Yep. One fucking weekend. Yeah, yeah. that's ballsy. And you're weirdly and, <laughs> you're, and it still fits in visually with the rest of the film. Yeah. it's not like this yeah. one-off thing. And you're shooting you that comedic moment too. Yeah, that where the musical's done. This big beautiful number with all these beautiful people and races. Yeah, <laughs> winter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have approached the consensus. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Though. That was good. good. Yeah, yeah. Cinematography Let's goes pat to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> yeah. We're really we're really helping America. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next category we have uh, Best Production Design. Nominees are Arrival, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Hail Caesar, La La Land, and Passengers. I'll go first. Uh, I'll vote for La La Land here. Me too. It was one of the three I said uh, I think it deserves the most. So I don't want to have to argue for anything for production design, so I'm going to say Passengers. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean La La Land nails it. I was going to say Arrival. And we, we can make this short. I'm, you know... It was, no, it was my number two. <laughs> La La Land is, is my number two as well. For Arrival, it's just... Uh, I think the degree of difficulty for figuring out visually how this is going to look like and what how they're going to build. You know, the, the movie hinges on the tunnel. Like, the mm-hmm. connection between yeah. humans and aliens. And I think they do a great job of making that seem alien, but, like, also a connection to humanity. They have the screen... They have things that humans would understand. And, you know, some of it's writing, some of it's, you know, directing. But I just really like the visually, how they figure out, you know, maybe some of its visual effects. It's also hard to see, you know, where the line is drawn here for production design. Mm-hmm. But just the, the production of how they do the, you know, the language, how they lay out, you know, the mist. I just like the interplay in Arrival. Although I will say, you know, most of the production design is limited to that interaction. The rest of it is kind of like, I don't know, I guess you've seen before, army base. Yeah, you know, kind of gray, classroom. foggy. Yeah. 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 I guess um, the highlight for me I keep thinking of is the ship. And yes. them, them connecting and the design of the ship. How it seems alien, but there's something familiar about it. It's a TV yeah. screen. 
It's what it is. Is they're they're communicating yeah. like it's a like that the the screen that separates them is their um, their like like uh, Skype. You yeah. know, yeah. is they're they're two completely different worlds and they're trying to communicate through it. Uh, I'll also throw a shout out to Hail Caesar for its production design because I thought it was good. really really good. I like that it was nominated for it because it gave me a reason to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's very it enjoyable, fun movie. Very but I don't think that I walked away going. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I, but I will say in in the interest of the the vote, you know, thinking back on it, like I said, production design, I mainly think of one aspect of the movie, which is probably in total maybe twenty minutes out of it. Yeah. The rest of it is other other aspects. La La Land is really good. Yeah, how how it's how do they design everything? So much depends on the sets too. Oh La yeah, La Land. yeah, and, and it feels like the whole movie's on a soundstage and it's not right. It was like live location shooting. Yeah. Yeah, and they kind of do the opposite of most production design, where you're trying to make stages seem real. They make real settings seem fake, which is like the conceit of La La Land. Like it's, yeah. it's everything's heightened. Yeah, you know, the real places, but they're made to feel like movie magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a three to one vote anyway. So I'm fine with La La Land. I think it's really good. Cool. We're down. Come up. <laughs> In Arrival, you don't know which one's which. <laughs> go into the tunnel. So hitting these two categories. Um, let's go through the difference between sound editing and mixing one more time. Sure. Sound mixing is, uh, and this is just what I've heard. <laughs> sound mixing is, uh, sound mixing is sound balancing. Mm-hmm. So balancing things in your soundtrack, the way characters talk, ambient noises, uh, the music, stuff like that. Whereas sound editing is sound creation. Okay. Where it's creating, you know, the you know screech of a hull tearing apart in an airplane crash. Right. It's explosions, it's gunfire, it's kind of more Foley work. ADR Foley. Yeah. But it's creation versus a balance. Okay. Which, which one do we want to jump on? Oh, let me say the nominees first. Yeah, sorry. Good. Uh, yeah. We'll go through these. Mixing, we have Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, Rogue One, and 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. I'll, I'll put it here. This was tough. Uh, I had to do La La Land in Arrival, but I'm, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote La La Land here. I'll, I'll say my, my vote is Arrival here. I have a, a passionate vote for Arrival here. I thought it sounded fantastic. Especially, like, the movie's about language. Oh, sorry. That's, that's I fine. Let you vote first. It's, I, I have a very uh, unimpassioned vote for Arrival. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard the trope that sound mixing is making gunshots and explosions sound great. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to vote for 13 hours. I'm not going to vote for Hacksaw Ridge. Um, and then once I take those two out, uh, I haven't seen Rogue One, but I bet it sounds like a fucking Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and then, then it stand out. And, and then I'm naturally down to Arrival in La La Land. And if things go the way that they're going to, La La Land's winning sound. It's winning. Uh, it's winning song. It's winning score. You know, it's winning lots of lots of categories where they're. Lots of more, more, much more creative categories than this, um, and Arrival is just where I end up. See, so that is process I, of deduction. When I watched Arrival, I thought this should win sound mixing. Like that was one of the, the my takeaways from Arrival the first time I saw it because I thought this movie sounds really good. It was along with editing, sound mixing was the other thing I was probably most passionate about for Arrival, in that it was uh, the balance of of dialogue and music and alien sounds and whatnot over the whole course of the movie and it all managed to be still like it, it's a sci-fi movie about an alien landing that's also manages to be like quiet and thoughtful with its sound like like yeah. sort of pensive yeah, you don't, movie. don't see that a lot there there is a non-telegraphed this is aside from the category there's like a non-telegraphed again like arrival deceiving people like sense of dread 
that you get with these monoliths just landing all over mm. the world. Yeah. And you think, like, at any second they could do any number yeah. of TV or movie alien tropes and, like, release toxic gas or whatever. And there's almost, like, a silence, like, like a deafening silence of, like, when they have these, like, extracted shots where it's just, like, you know, the one that, that Amy Adams is interacting with, like, in that valley, like, mm. in the, the mountain valley. <clears throat> and that feeling of isolation up in the camp. The the early flashbacks or flash whatevers with the the, uh, the daughter where she's uh, like chasing around in the yard. Uh, this just it sounds really really good to me. The sound it feels like you're in the mix of the sound too. Like it sounds like the speakers behind you are playing some of the dialogue, and then they like kind of shift, kind of yeah. like a memory a little bit. I think they do a great job of in the flashbacks making you feel like you're right in the middle of the memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could I could easily be persuaded to to arrival. Um, I, I thought it was it was very good in what it did, and so, it, the, the silence was important. I think in that film, which is it was never fully silent, but it, it was great. Yeah, the, the when they when they first go into the the tunnel room, mm-hmm. it's the, it's a very silent, it's very quiet, and kind of the only noise is her almost hyperventilating. Yeah, hyperventilating. Yeah. You hear her breathing, breathing a lot in that movie. Yeah. Which is, and it's very personal. It's you know one of the most personal movies here. It's like focused singularly on somebody. Mm-hmm. We can revote. I mean, I, I think y'all are all holding strong, probably. Yeah, we don't have to do all four votes. At least get consensus. A three yeah. one. So y'all yeah. are arrival. Good on arrival. Yeah, I think we're arrival. Yeah. So sound editing, we have arrival again, Deepwater Horizon, Hacksaw Ridge again, La La Land again, and Sully for the first time and only time. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'll start with voting here. Uh, I'm, I'm voting Hacksaw here. I thought the last half of Hexall was way better than just not bad. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really good. And I think the sound drives that last 45 minutes. Especially at night and you all the rats in their footsteps. It was just really well done, I thought, for the last 45 minutes. And I think without without good sound, it's, it's shit, pretty much. Sure. I also came here preparing to vote for uh, Hexall Ridge for sound editing. Because, and I'll... Uh, I mean, back up, uh, obviously, what you said. Also, throw in the, uh, like, the, I know it's sort of uh, almost tropey at this point in war movies, but the, the helmet pings were yeah. really, and they, it was, they were done in a way that, like, just, it, it sounded, it was disturbing. Yeah. It was really, the sounds of Hacksaw Ridge were extremely disturbing. And, and very they, visceral. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, that's what a great made, word for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with casting my, my vote for Hacksaw here. Um you know, my my opposition previously is because, you know, uh, for the previous category, making bullets sound great is different than making them sound real and in the theater with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much of that movie that is dependent on the nighttime scenes where he's, you know, just one more and running yeah. back out and each time encountering like a new obstacle. And it's all made made very personal and emotional with you know runs up to his guy his buddy and like they do the helmet ding but unlike most they do the helmet ding and immediately he like then gets shot in the head too right um yeah you know that sound that we associate with like ooh, lucky break is like nope (laughs) right yeah i mean this is also a category where like if hacksaw ridge is there like 13 hours probably did something similarly well with their sound I thought Deepwater, Deepwater Horizon did a good job with this too, but yeah. you know, that's got to pick one vote. I guess my vote was uh, Arrival, but I had Hacksaw Ridge right below that. Yeah, 
Barabble did sound good. I mean, the alien sounds were yeah. really good. And some of it is like, uh, you know, Johan Johansson's score for Arrival was probably one of my favorite yeah. of the year. It's not nominated at all. It goes along with the sound creation they do for the, you know, almost lack of sound for the aliens and the soundtrack stuff. But uh, you guys make a great point that the 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 sound editing... How do you make sure not? We hope that. in in, uh, Hack, in Hacksaw Ridge plays the greatest role in any of these movies. Like yeah. it's what makes it visceral. It's what makes gives you the element of danger. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the visuals to it, but you know, it personalizes the danger. It makes Dawes's story important. Yeah, it makes it takes him from being a field medic to being a, a great soldier. It takes it from a story you hear about to a story you, you kind of experience. Yeah. You know. Also, when you consider uh, whatever lab they cooked up Andrew Garfield's southern accent, and <laughs> yeah. really, they, they, they did a, a bang-up job. God, <laughs> man, it was rough. I, I also love near the end of the movie where he's like trying to use the use the rifle as, as part of the stretcher. Yeah, and he grabs a gun, and yeah. Vince Vaughn is like, "This isn't the time for target practice." <laughs> yeah, it's a pointless movie. Alright, so... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will not practice this accent. <laughs> Alright, so, sound editing, we go to Hacksaw Ridge. So, continuing on, we have a Best Original Song. Here we have Audition, The Fools Who Dream, from La La Land, also from La La Land, City of Stars, from Trolls, the Oscar-nominated Trolls. We have Can't Stop the Feeling, from Moana, How Far I'll Go, and from Jim, the James Foley story, The Empty Chair. So everyone go an empty chair on this? It's not a bad song. It's, it's not a bad song. It's also... I haven't heard it. <laughs> it's, real, it's, it's a real Tom Waitsy song. Um, mm. You know, also, again, I'm happy he got nominated because then I watched, um, you know, the James Foley, uh, Jim, the James, Jim Foley, James Foley story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a really uh, interesting documentary, which is surprising it didn't hit the, uh, um, the best documentary yeah. feature, but... Um, I, I, I agree. I don't when, think you, when you say it's your old Tom Waitsy, what, does, what does that mean? It means it's very very slow and obtusely emotional. I thought, like, sung Pop- into a tin can in a closet <laughs> filled with molasses. I was saying, you know, powered by gravel. Yeah. <laughs> What's the initial vote on the song? I'm going uh, audition song. I'm going City of Stars. I'm going City of Stars. I want to go over Moana so bad. <laughs> Um, it's not I'll, bad. I'll vote for whatever La La Land song has the most steam. Yeah, it seems like it's La La Land versus La La Land. Yeah, I don't yeah. really give a shit which La La Land song is. <laughs> as far as audition song, when I left the, the movie, that's the song I was thinking of the most. Yeah. I think it's got the, the biggest role in the movie. It's what the ending in the the movie's whole concept is based on, is is that song to me. And it's uh, I think it's the movie that Emma Stone's going to win an Oscar for. I definitely think it's the it's the most important song in the movie. Uh, I, I guess I don't know how much to value a song's role in a movie for this category. Yeah, it's I mean, true. Obviously, none because like credit songs win. Yeah. Well, now true. the thing the eligibility it can't play just over the credits. It's got to be incorporated. Is that the song? Oh, really? Now? Yeah they they changed the rules because people were just like. You know, recording a song to play after right. the credits start. Yeah, but it's funny. I, I when I got done watching La La Land, I was humming City of Stars for. I will say hours. it is a catchy ear one. Yeah, just just writing out City of Stars, it's like you know, <laughs> City of Stars. Yeah, 
I kind of my favorite song in that may have been the first song. I think it's my favorite, too. The bridge song? Come on, Chris, dance. I mean, this is the same... Chris is doing a full-on Charleston. This is the swear that sounded like putting on the Ritz. <laughs> Music by Justin Hurwitz. Lyrics by Benj Pasek and J- Justin Paul. So who are we giving the award to for best song? It's this three? Yeah, so it's the same three either song. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with City of for, Stars. It's for, catchy and it also plays throughout the movie. Yeah. This only matters for future, like... Pod, or like future like Spotify lists yeah. of yeah. award winning best songs like which yeah. one do we want to be represented on there yeah and like you know if, if, if I had like cash money down on which one like I thought would win then I'd, I'd pay more attention but if this is what I want to win you know you I'm not care. gonna not, I don't care I'm not gonna pick one of those it's kind of emblematic of La La Land songs right you know mm-hmm. not just right. one song it's like I, I think that, that that La La Land and the voters not that they can like collude but they, sh- they should have picked the one song and said, for your consideration, this song. Yeah. Sorry, I snapped. I'll say for, for both of these songs, I, I'm, they sound so good and so traditional and old that I couldn't believe they were original songs. Yeah, they were really mm-hmm. well written. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know old Hollywood stuff, and it mm-hmm. sounds like an old Hollywood song. Yeah. Because it's really simple. It's like piano, vocals. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of strings. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say we should have a tie so that we can award one uh, award them two Oscars. All in gets a bonus no, Oscar. No ties. I'll switch to City of Stars and we'll go. Okay, City of Stars. I, I want Moana as my protest vote. Okay. Protest vote. Cool. Because I think that there should have been a fifth movie for the fifth song. Right. It's such a weird thing to think, but whatever. <laughs> That's original. That's all. That's why you and David had your conversation about what was going to win. This is what we want. Yeah. Yeah. I also wish there was only one song. So drive it like you stole it. Could have made it in here. Sing Street. Yeah, protest vote for Sing Street. <laughs> right in vote. Yeah. All right, best best original score. We have uh, Jackie, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Passengers. I did not like the Jackie score. I didn't like I'm, I'm I didn't angry like that Arrival is not nominated and Jackie is. Like I loved the uh, Under the Skin score. I thought it was yeah. so good. It's the same person, okay. right? Michael Le- Levy, and it was obnoxious in Jackie. Yes, it's. Who was I in the car with? I was thinking it. Was it you? You're talking about it. Here's how it sounds. That's it. I did it. It's it's irritating. Like it's actually irritating in the movie, uh, especially at the beginning. So not Jackie. Uh, I'm voting La La Land here. Yeah, David, what's your vote? I'm voting Moonlight, y'all. I am voting Moonlight as well. All the sorry, I'm I'm reading no, I'm reading composers, but I I think the Moonlight was Moonlight score was the most affecting to me watching it. Yeah, to me, I appreciate the songs in La La Land. Like I understand that they wrote together. It's Justin Hurwitz, but a song driven score. I think you highlight the songs. The score seems to me like taking themes from the songs and you know going throughout the movie. Yeah, you take out the songs in La La Land. What is the score? It's like. Kind of pretty. Now, not to denigrate that, I yeah. know Justin Hurwitz, like, they probably had the score first and incorporated the songs. Right. But taking score at score value, that's it's tough with the musical to divide song and score. That's just why I went to Moonlight, because I thought it was incredible. I loved this, this the score in Moonlight. Yeah, I liked it too. I think La La Land is, is really good. Um, I really think, maybe after Chazelle, that Justin Hurwitz might be the star of La La Land. For what he did. Besides John Legend. Right. 
Yeah, and J.K. Simmons. <laughs> but Moonlight did play the biggest role in the movie I fought out of all those five that were nominated. I also wish Arrival was nominated. I'm confused as to why it wasn't. I would actually vote for Arrival. Here. Yeah, I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would have as well. Yeah, I think Moonlight. I think Moonlight score played the biggest role. And I may be a little bit swayed hearing the uh, talk about it in a previous podcast song exploder thing of you know creating a score using a detuned piano and a violin playing the softest note possible to get scratch, and then doing a Houston chopped and screwed remix of that mm-hmm. to like uh, downplay it from in a key of D to a key of B to like for the passage of time like it's the same music but it's like in a different key it's a different part of his life that's interesting knowing about that I think may color my vote a little bit but alright I'm good with that Moonlight takes it Chris you got anything no I got nothing alright cool Moonlight next category we got the three kind of subcategories for movies we got documentary foreign film and uh, feature we'll do documentary first Best documentary, Fire at Sea, I Am Not Your Negro, Life Animated, OJ Made in America, and 13th. We've talked a good bit about a few of these on podcasts lately. Mm-hmm. I know we've discussed 13th a good bit. Uh, and I've, we've also talked about Life Animated. I've only seen Life Animated, 13th, and one hour of OJ Made in America. Uh, I'm voting for Life Animated here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm as well for Life Animated. Yeah, I think that's our podcast favorite. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I think we we betray our better senses. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us have seen Fire at Sea or I'm not your Negro. I, I really want to see those two. I just yeah. haven't had a chance. Yeah. They seem yeah. really interesting. Yeah, cool, right. sweet. I guess we can go on because we we have talked in previous yeah. podcasts about we all love that movie specifically. Uh, we can go foreign language film. Another one I don't think we've seen a lot of. Yeah, uh, Land of Mine from Denmark. A man called Ove from Sweden. The Salesman from Iran. Tana from Australia and Tony Erdman from Germany. Iran. What do they speak in Tana? What language? They take. They speak like a, a no, novel. It's like from the island of Tuvalu or something like yeah, that. This, this, is okay. the, this is the first the first movie to be fully shot and written actually by the inhabitants of Tuvalu. Huh. They're finally um, using the money they got from selling their domains <laughs> to dot TV. Yeah. Well, it's it's well, like it's set on the island of Tana. That's where the name comes from, yeah, and they okay. speak novel. Novel, yeah. Apparently, oh, like, novel. like what Chris was saying, like there's never been a movie that's ever filmed there, and I don't think there's ever been a movie shown there. No, and they're no, not. No one who's in the movie has ever seen a movie before. They they're not actors. Not they. It sounds interesting. It does. Yeah, they, and like yeah, I, I, watch watch. There's a there's a long trailer. It's like five and a half minutes long. And it kind of talks about, like, the interesting aspects of it. Cool. Well, I've, let me start, because I haven't seen any of these five films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, will, I will cast my initial vote for Tony Erdman, only because I think Jack Nicholson is going to start a remake of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah. nice. And Kristen Wiig's going to be his daughter. <laughs> so, I heard it was funny. All right, well, then, yeah, sure, that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to double up on these, because David's got an actual pick that's going to come in. Well, I mean... I know, you've only seen one. <laughs> I've only seen one. Uh, yeah, whatever. The Salesman sounds like a rom-com that I would love. What is it, Death of a Person Salesman? Yeah, pretty much. It's, yeah, it's people who are performing the play Death of a Salesman encounter hardships in some way in Iran. Yeah, because the wife... Hardships in Iran? (laughs) Well, I think the wife, they have an intruder and the wife is assaulted and they have to come to terms, the male, like how to be a male in Iranian society and he's an actor and it's like really depressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that that's a... You know, whatever. Not that that's bad for a movie. 
Good for drama. I will say, you guys know my pick. It's going to be a man called Love. Yeah. It's it's so heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. It's really rare this year. Yeah. I, I really like uh, the name of the director for Land of Mine. It's it's uh, probably Martin Zandelier or Zandelier. Um But I'm I'm, I'm going to just say the salesman. It's the one that I want to see the most. Um, and probably after that is uh, Tana or Tana. Okay, we have two one one. You guys have? Do you have consensus? Or is that a? We don't care. No, I'll flip for you. Yeah, yeah I will too. <laughs> if you feel strongly you enough, you solve it. It's probably in my top ten. I really don't want to oversell this though. <laughs> it's kind of like a quiet movie. Yeah, but it's probably you know one of my top ten for the year. Okay, that's good. Good enough yeah. for me. Tony, your men called Oop. <laughs> yeah, we have another one that's probably a slam dunk. Then we're going to have a break. I don't even think we need to really talk about animated feature. Best animated yeah. feature. Kubo on the Kubo! <laughs> Sorry. Kubo on the two strings. Moana, My Life as a Zucchini, The Red Turtle, and Zootopia. With with uh, respects to Zootopia. It's great. Kubo all day. Kubo. T- Kubo. Kubo Topia. I was trying to. Those words do not combine like I thought they would. Kubopia. Kubopia. Kubotopia. Yeah, Kubo is my vote. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Kubo it is. We're going to take a short break. Feel free to pause. You can take a break too. We need to scratch. Alright, hope you enjoyed the break. Next category, we get into kind of the bigger categories. We got a best adapted screenplay, we have Arrival. Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Moonlight. I'll do initial votes before we talk on these big guys. Sure. I'll say my initial vote. I uh, wonder if it's going to pop up with anyone else. Is Arrival. Brent? It's interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing your case for Arrival. Uh, I think my initial vote is going to be Moonlight, but I don't feel strongly about any of these for this category. My vote is Moonlight. I hate you guys. Again, I'm going to start from the bottom. Fences, not my favorite. Hidden Figures, I thought was good. I, thought, I think I like Hidden Figures the most of everybody here. Um, but I like it a lot. But I don't, I don't, I don't put it up. It doesn't stand on the shoulder shoulders of giants um, like Moonlight and Arrival. And I liked Lion more than most, also. Um, but I don't think that Lion is as good of a screenplay. You know, I I, I, li- I like Moonlight a lot, and I like the story of how that was. Almost a play, right? It didn't mm-hmm. actually yeah, make no. a play. Um, so, my vote's going to be Moonlight. No strong reason for it over Arrival. Okay. The only thing that's it's kind of tearing me away from Moonlight a little bit is that there's there's so much silence and how much how much does silence matter in a screenplay? Like maybe it's a big part of the screenplay. So maybe I, it is one of two. Not sorry to interrupt. It's one of two screenplays that I've actually read through or kind of flipped through. And a lot of that is in the screenplay. A lot of direction in the screenplay on, you know, how characters are supposed to look. Especially with Black in the third act. Yeah. Um, where he has, like, almost no dialogue once he gets to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from a few choice lines, uh, a lot of that is, like, he takes his time to eat. He doesn't dig in right away. He's still mm-hmm. nervous about being in front of this guy. Like, that kind of thing is in the screenplay, which is why I went kind of hard on Moonlight out of these. Screenplay and Arrival also is one of the... Um, so much jumped out at me about Arrival when I watched it. That was not one. Not, not that. Yeah. 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 You know, actually, I don't... I, when Chris mentioned it, I, I actually really... I don't know. I think I really like the Hidden Figures screenplay, too. Mm-hmm. It was good. I'm curious to hear David's argument on Arrival. My argument for Arrival is it delivers on the title. <laughs> 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 no, um, 
And I thought, mm. as far as an adapted screenplay, I think it does so many things so well. Of uh, the realistic, you know, depiction of how language evolves, and how the flashbacks interplay with the, you know, the current setting. Um, how it focuses on Amy Adams as a main character, and you know, for a movie about language, she doesn't, she doesn't really speak her emotions all that much. There's mm-hmm. a lot that's repressed. You know, I just thought it was, you know, really well done in, in those respects. I thought it was the most inventive out of all of these movies. Especially, it's definitely um, that. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's the most. Uh, it's not an original screenplay, but the most original kind of idea that I'm I'm seeing here. You have some biopics. Um, I think it's probably difficult to adapt the Lion screenplay, which that, that gives it some cred for me. I think I had that third. It's like uh, Google Earth the story, but it's actually like you know an emotionally heartfelt story, but. Kind of for a little bit for a degree of difficulty, I had Arrival there. All these weird different things kind of fit within a whole. And I, a lot of that I have as a result of the writing, how it's written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, I had Moonlight number two. It's, you know, yeah. how, how much, you know, credence do you give? Silence, characters don't talk. It's like the, the artist screenplay was nominated for Best Picture, and you go like, for what? Right. <laughs> no, nobody talks. Right. But that, that's part of the screenplay. You know, yeah. Scene descriptions, stuff like that. Setups. Yeah. Yeah. As far as those two, I actually had hidden figures at five. Yeah. Out of my rankings. Um, yeah. I had uh, fences I, five. I actually had fences at, at two. Uh, it's hard. I mean, it's probably the most dialogue. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Again, like, what are we awarding for? You know what I mean? Like yeah. the adaptation or the screenplay that happened to be adapted. Right. How much of it was adapted to? Like, how much adap- adapting did they have to do? It's part of it, too. Yeah, what do you focus on, like you're saying? The right. best adaptation, the best screenplay. Right. I think because of the disparate elements that come together, I chopped it up that it's probably the best adaptation and the best screenplay for me because of that. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I'm saying for, for Fences, like, mm-hmm. does it become a good screenplay when you take a play and type all those words and put screenplay at the front of it? Right. Is it now a good screenplay if it was a great play? I mean, you know since what I mean? you're nominating August Wilson, I, I suppose it's fair to... To just view it as it was originally written. Like, is that good? Right. Yeah. And and it is, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't fight for it at all. I'm also kind of hard. I mean, like, I've got a rival three. Hmm. Oh, well, we, we have uh, three Moonlights and one arrival. Yeah. I think, I think your argument is compelling. Um, reading the synopsis from Story of Your Life. Story of Your Life really does cover most of the plot points. Oh, it does? Of, um, of Arrival. It goes from the arrival, the two heptapods, and um, they're communicating. Um, except the, I think the main difference from what I read in the synopsis was that one of the heptapods uses a spoken language, and the other one uses the circle dialogue. Okay. Not dialogue, but the circle scripture that we see in the movie. But you mean the 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 end point of the film, if you can call that film having an end point based on, you know, the plot, <laughs> right, is, you know, her seeing the entire life of her unconceived daughter mm-hmm. um, and realizing that this is, like, a communication of um, the the cyclical nature of time. Um, but all that aside, um, you know, it's, it's if, if it's, again, like, the, we talk about degree of difficulty, if that's what it is, like, how hard is it to adapt something into a screenplay, um... Sure, maybe it's still maybe it's a rival, but 
I think as far as the best screenplay in this list of five, I think it's something that's been like. I I can kind of concede that. Maybe I was focused a little too much on, you know, it's not for a degree of difficulty what was the hardest thing to do, Mm. or else, like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, it's based on a ride. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about that that before, that the, uh, is it like a, is it like gymnastics where you have, like, a set score going in? Mm -hmm. Like, your highest possible score is this, because... I don't know. I don't know really how. And I'm sure people all look at it differently. The voters do, I'm sure. Yeah. The voters probably just vote kind of how they feel like. Right. You know, it doesn't, I don't think they take into consideration. I would imagine most voters put in far less effort than we are. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yep. Um, so I think our consensus is Moonlight. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Then we get to best original screenplay. We have Hell or High Water, La La Land, The Lobster. Manchester by the Sea and 20th Century Women. So, initial vote. Pretty deep into the podcast, but I'm only going to have uh, be able to vote for this. I don't think it's been up for anything yet. Manchester by the Sea. I'm Manchester by the Sea as well. I'm Manchester by the Sea as well. Let's go Manchester. Let's slam this thing in. I really like that movie. Yeah. This is not just a, there's three to one and I don't want to argue. I, no. I agree with Manchester. And I will say this, my second on this is something that y'all haven't seen, which is 20th Century Women. I had up in mm-hmm. number two. I actually had Lala in last... In this category, the lobster mm-hmm. for Hell or High Water, I think the dialogue, um, not the screenplay necessarily, but the dialogue is what jumped out to me the first time I saw it. it. I had it it is three. really good. It feels authentic, yeah. yeah. The dialogue. But yeah, yeah Manchester's a, a next level, as is 20th Century Women, I think. Yeah. Manchester Manchester's one of my favorites uh, the whole year. And I think it's just like such a uh, expertly wound clock a little bit. Really contained story, and the characters feel so real, and the situation is so real, so specific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the dialogue, what little there is with Casey Affleck's main character to everybody in there, all serves the story. I think it's just, you know, exquisitely written screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Also, really like uh, the way Manchester it has the secret for part of the movie, and then it doesn't save that till the very end. Yeah, yeah. It chooses a, the exact right time to yeah. reveal the secret. I agree, mm-hmm. and that's in the screenplay, and that's that's a that's a big decision, and it's an unusual decision, and it works really well. Yeah. yeah. And I listened to an interview with uh, Kenneth Lonergan, who wrote it and directed it. You know, it didn't get an editing nomination. It's kind of a low key movie to get that. I think some people were like the flashbacks just kind of happen. But all those flashbacks, like when they happen, the abruptness of it is all written to the screenplay as like, you know, like we say with Arrival, like mm-hmm. the memory as it comes up of his, you know, what happened to him. Right. Like Which, when he's getting the will read to him, where he kind of goes back and thinks about being back in Manchester, that's when the, the flashback happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's well done in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Manchester. Consensus. Yeah. yeah. Four for four. All right, getting into acting categories. We Act. have... Acting. Acting. <laughs> Best Supporting Actress. Here we have Viola Davis for Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer, Hidden Figs, and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> I want to go first because I haven't gone first yet. I'm going to say Viola Davis for Fences... I want that to win. I don't care if it's going to. Um, I I was telling TJ when we were talking about it, I was like, I got a surprise Viola Davis monologue. She has the one speech to Denzel Washington when he's like, admits that he's like running around on her. And then in the third act, <clears throat> which is almost clearly labeled the third act, the son says he's not going to attend, you know, Troy's funeral. 
And she just like looks him square in the eye and says like, you think that makes you a man? And just like the emotion in that, like the angry speech, she just, she really, she really crushes it with that. I think more so than the, we joke around about like, does Viola Davis get Oscars for crying? But I thought like her seething anger at her son mm-hmm. really for good. like betraying her family, like I want her to, to win that up and down. I'm going uh, Viola Davis too for my vote. Um, not the only good thing. I won't say that. I won't go that far. But by far the best thing about that movie was her performance. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I have her. I'm taking. I am on the other hand taking Viola Davis. For a movie called Finkus. <laughs> <laughs> for this, yeah, this she French, was French film. She she portrayed Rosé. 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 Masson. And this is this, and it's not to undercut. Like Michelle Williams was great in Manchester. She's my number two. She's my number two. Octavia Spencer, great in Hidden Figures. I think she just she she loses a little bit of her luster as one of three great performances in Hidden Figures. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's that's more of an ensemble that you know she's a third of. Um, Did I agree? Nicole Kidman is probably bottom of my list, and not because I think Nicole Kidman was bad in line, but she was. I think she's she's got the one scene that's really good that where she admits to. Uh, Saru, that it wasn't that she couldn't have children, it's that she did, chose not to. That is a really powerful scene. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like that part. And talking about her, her <laughs> That dream. was the part I thought she did poorly at, actually. Oh, that, that was my favorite of her scenes. I also thought that there was the really touching scene where she's after, I forget I forget his brother's name, I think it's like Gorkum or, um, but Saru's uh, brother, or sorry, Saru's brother, he, like, she's she's just, like, at her wit's end with him, and she's just very quietly sitting at the kitchen table, and he comes up, and she just, like, you know, lights on, like, I'm your loving mother. I um, also really liked her scene in the car ride on, after the after picking up Saru. Yeah. Uh, was uh, The whole airport car ride apartment. Yeah, but she just can't take her eyes off him, and yeah, she just, she's watching him, and it's a, it's, it's a, but this sounds pretentious, to, I don't know, to me, but, uh. It's a very graceful performance, I thought, that she had in that movie. Yeah. It's just very... It's uh, it's not overacting. There's not a ton of acting. It's just sort of... Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I thought she was very... very understated performance. Very motherly. And yeah. I thought Naomi Harris, Naomi Harris was great in Moonlight. She's my number three. Of Octavia Spencer four and Nicole Kidman five. She's my number three. She's really good. She had a lot to do, so it's easier without, you know... Yeah, I think she's the only one who's in more. all three stories. Janelle Monae is, right? Do what? No, Janelle Monae is not in the third act. Oh, I guess. Yeah, that's the friend, right? The, oh, the friend's in all three. Well, yeah, but Aside it's a different actor. Them. I guess I'm talking from oh, an oh, acting yes. perspective. She is the only performer that's in all three. Yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, not, not to, you know, continue to shower moon at the praises. Naomi Harris is really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, she also is, like, <laughs> does, like, a fun, dynamic twist of uh, pr- character progression <laughs> from... Uh, Sharon, where yeah, uh, it's you know they both kind of veer off. I'm making hand motions. It's really you know illustrative of my point. <laughs> it's graceful. Yeah, but yeah, really well acted from her. I like that we're kind of I don't know, or at least I'm very different from from you guys on the two through five list. We're all in agreement on Viola, but uh, like I think for me two might be it's either Nicole Kidman or Octavia Spencer. In this category. I think I have Michelle Williams or Octavia Spencer. And then for me, Williams would be fourth and Harris fifth. Huh. I just, I don't know. I thought Harris is a just, for me, is a character that I've seen many times before, in a way. I thought her scene in the car with Mahershala um, was great. Yeah. Like, and the 
mm-hmm. who's going to tell him? You see the way he walks? Like, yeah. that was, that was, that was good. It made her somewhat redeemable character. Like, she also kind of got dealt a shit hand. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like she was just a horrible addict. Yeah. You fell for her a little bit. All right. All right. I like touching on all of them in these big categories. Yeah. yeah. Especially ones where it's like, where Viola Davis is apparently the heir apparent to this yeah. award. I almost went with Michelle Williams, but, you know, Viola cannot be denied. Yeah, Michelle Williams is good and all over the place. Probably the yeah, you know, true supporting character that she's got like three total scenes. One's on the phone. It's kind of like like what I was saying, like Viola Davis in Doubt has like two scenes, but kills it. Yeah. I thought Michelle Williams kills the scene when they're in the back of the parking lot and, yeah. and is trying to forgive uh, yeah. Casey Affleck and you won't accept it. That's mm-hmm. just like your body tenses up. It's a great scene. Yeah. yeah. But we'll go to uh, Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. We have Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, Deb Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. I would like to start by saying that I think they, for at least two of these movies, they nominated the wrong person. I think for Nocturnal Animals, while Michael Shannon is always very good, uh, I liked Aaron Taylor Johnson a whole lot more in that movie. And also for uh, Hell or High Water... I feel like Jeff Bridges was just doing something we've seen him do several yep. times before, I and agree. it wasn't that impressive to me as much as Ben Foster, ben Foster was mm-hmm. unhinged and terrifying in that movie. But he's also got human moments, too, where he cares about his brother and yeah. Yeah. whatnot, but he just can't help himself. Yeah, it's actually, he's really impressive also in the downtime of that movie, too, where it's just like them hanging out on the porch or something and him grabbing a beer, and it's he's... So genuine in that yeah. movie. He doesn't really seem like he sits still. He's always very kinetic. So, doing something like playing with a bottle cap. Yeah. Doing but he's a psychopath. Yeah. He loves his brother. Now he's a psychopath. Now that I've sung the praises of two non-nominees <laughs> for this uh, category. This is going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, by the way, while I'm at it, uh, I'd like to just point out that Dev Patel is a beautiful man. And uh, <laughs> I want to run my fingers through his hair. And that's <laughs> best hair. Best hair and makeup? Hair. I really want them Dev to just Patel. award Dev Patel for best hair and makeup. Um, well, real quick, since you just mentioned that, I thought Kevin Costner was way good in yeah. Hidden Figures. Yeah. I had predicted him to get a nomination. I thought he was really good in that. He was. <clears throat> Could have been easy to phone that in as like the... Character yeah. in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is gonna go good in podcast. Same bathroom. Well, so anyway, Brent, what's your vote? Uh, Out of the ones that actually got nominated, so not John Goodman for Tim Cloverfield Lane, right? <laughs> Still bitter about that. Yeah, uh, we know gosh, it's tough between Ali and Hedges. Like it's it's one of the toughest votes. Mm-hmm. I, I think because it's it's more of a supporting role, I'm going Ali. Those are my top two as well. Uh, I, Ali is my favorite character out of any nominated film. His mm-hmm. character is my favorite out of all these movies. I love that character. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I took Ali. Christian? I really like Ali, <laughs> but I want to go Lucas Hedges. It was really good. Yeah. I, I love what he did in that movie. Yeah, and I think I think if I had to rank, it's Hedges, Ollie, Patel, Shannon, Bridges. I went Bridges, Patel, Shannon. Mm-hmm. I went uh, <laughs> Ali, Hedges, DP for life, Bridges, and Shannon. I had that specifically, so I had Ollie number one. I was debating Lucas Hedges, though, because... He's he he's so important in that movie yeah. too. Yeah, you could have a brat kid where you don't really care. The whole movie hinges on you want this 
character to be adopted and, you know, be okay. Yeah. If he's a little shit kid, it's like, ugh, who cares about this little Boston bastard? Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I want there to be an Oscar for best on-screen duo, because, damn, those two in Manchester by the Sea were fantastic so together. funny together. Yeah, yeah. and he, he, he sells, like, arguing with a brick wall. Like, yeah. really well. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. just, you know, calling Casey Affleck out for being, like, unemotional and, like, you know, unaffected by everything. And, like, you know he's a kid, like, in real life, so, like, when he does those things that you know kids will do in that situation, mm-hmm. when he's Casey Affleck doesn't know what to do, he's like, I'm just going to sit here until you calm down. Is that okay? And he's like, I'm calm. <laughs> like, obviously you're not calm. That's yeah. what any kid would say to get their, like, new parent to get the fuck out of the room. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just really, really good. Yeah. And my vote for, for Lucas Hedges, like I said, you know, Marshall Ali, if he takes this for our media bias vote, you know, I'm fine with it. They're he, both 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. He did a really excellent job playing a not... He did a great job playing a very nuanced character who could have been very easily stereotyped. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I don't know. I think the reason why I go Hedges is because I think that a lot of that is in writing. Um, and Marshall Ali is just a very capable actor. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, but like, I mean, if it's if it's written or acted, um, I think he is great alongside Lucas Hedges. So if that's the table, and Lucas Hedges is one of the sixteen Oscar nominees in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, that's David true. F. He's in Grand Budapest Hotel. He's yeah. a gas attendant or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. He must have been like twelve years old. I even like looked like Google Lucas Hedges Grand Budapest Hotel images, and like it pulled up like him in front of a hotel in Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> Google doesn't even know what to do with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wish we could split this in half, but it's pretty hacky to do tie votes to recognize two things. Yeah. So I guess we are three to one for Ali. I'd yeah. love to for. Hedges to be here too, but and you can't even really debate it because we kind of agree with you. Yeah, it's yeah. just you want to be a conscientious objector because I think <laughs> I do we all that, have Mahershala. we all have hedges number two, right? Everyone has only one. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have hedges two. Yeah, yeah. hedges two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sure that, that Lucas Hedges will be very proud to find out that the media bias uh, has chosen. <laughs> if you'd like to come on <laughs> and have it out, you're welcome to be on the podcast. Yeah, tell us why you thought Mahershala Ali's performance was trite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we were talking about supporting actors that, that like, you know, I apologize to Naomi in advance whenever she listens to this, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we would love to host Lucas on this. We can talk about wherever you want, frozen chicken, hockey. <laughs> also, if uh, Dev Patel wants to ever come on the podcast. We, I think we already scared him off. I promise I'll stay at home for that one. I won't, I won't attend. We've got a hand that's looking for some hair. All, all of us will Skype in. <laughs> no one will be present. Yeah, just send us some hair and a self-addressed envelope. Alright, so we got Mahershala Ali for Best Supporting Actor. Yep. <laughs> We'll just stroke it. I don't want to so for that, a little while, so that we can know, know where you live. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's why we want that self-addressed. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just so he knows we're not growing. Our <laughs> 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 All right, I think it's time for the next I think, category. I think we're we have to classify into... this podcast as horror now. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot say a single swear word. I think it's still explicit content. <laughs> All right, we'll go to Best Actress. Uh, nominees here are Isabel Huppert for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Who did she play in that? She played La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just want to say real quick, since Brent kind of started this uh, not getting nominated movement, watched Loving since the last podcast. It's a great movie. Joel Lynch was great. Uh, Amy Adams should have been nominated over Ruth Nega, I think. For, uh, Roger. for sure. Yeah. I have uh, Ruth Nega as my number two. I really? Love, I love what she does in this character. Like, there's there's acting that this, that's the most acting. There's acting that's the best acting. I think she is the, has the most natural performance out of anyone on this list. Like, she's, you know, part Irish, part Ethiopian, and she feels... Like, the whole movie is about Southern, love of Virginia and yeah. rural, mm-hmm. your life, your family, and she feels incredibly authentic to it. For it to me, she's like got a natural. Yeah, I think she's got a natural chemistry with Joel Edgerton. Like them as a duo are one of the best duos. They were great. Yeah, I saw he was better. I guess so. I was annoyed that overshadowed. She was nominated and he wasn't. Was part of that too. Want to do initial votes? Yeah. Or you have uh, anything else? No, I was going to say I think I'm the only one who's seen Elle. I had her third ahead of Streep and Ruth Nega, Isabel Hubert. She was fantastic in that Mm. movie. Very, very good. Just just as good as the... David had mentioned something in the discussion when we did our predictions that he thinks she may be running away with it in some years. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I think she's got two, maybe just one person in her way, prediction-wise. But I had her in the same group with, with Stone and Portman. But having said all that, my vote is Natalie Portman for this category. And Jackie. Hmm. Natalie Portman. My vote is Emma Stone. When I sat down to watch Jackie, I really was not anticipating liking it that much. I was a hardliner for Emma Stone, but I think my vote's Natalie Portman, which surprised the hell out of me. Interesting. It surprised me, too, and I love Emma Stone. Me, too. I wanted to vote for Emma Stone. She deserves this so much. Portman already has one. Stone deserves one. Well, none of them have a media bias Oscar. (laughs) That's true. That's true. This would be the first for both. (laughs) We're going to mail out creepy little statuettes. We're just going to be just like little dolls made out of Dev Patel's hair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> God, I want to win one now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, I know that we haven't really talked about Jackie, but I don't think David was a huge fan of the movie in general. I was not. Um, I don't have a problem with it getting nominated, not getting nominated as much. I think there were some parts that were hard to get through, but I do feel like it was a good movie. It's all Natalie Portman, essentially. It is all Natalie Portman. And, and it, at the beginning, I worried a little bit that it was just going to be just an impression because it's you know when it comes on she's doing an impression of of Jackie is and she's doing the voice and it sounds good and it's a good impression and then I wondered if it was going to be all that and not enough acting but then mm-hmm. man she she gave a really powerful the awkwardness in the White House tour yeah it was fantastic yeah yeah it's it's really impressive I was not ready to be impressed by that movie and and overall the movie is just sort of it's good but not not great to me but it's just it's a it's a powerhouse performance. Do you have Stone, David? I have Stone number one, yeah. To me, uh, Portman's Jackie performance, you know, it was great. It felt really, I don't know, it sounds like a douchebag, but it felt really performancey to me. I don't know how, to, how else to say it. Yeah, that's but true. It, 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 it did straddle that line between impression to feeling authentic. I don't think it made it past impression to me. Yeah, and I just really, I really enjoyed uh, Emma Stone. I think without Emma Stone, there's no heart to La La Land. And I think, especially, you know, my big takeaway is the audition scene and, you know, close up on her big freaking eyes. (laughs) And she's just like burying her soul and, you know, voice about to go out, talking about... And it comes to like the angel question too, is it harder to act like somebody or harder to create your own character? 
Sure. And, like, nobody's going to answer that. It just depends. And honestly, if if I'm voting, I probably cast a vote for Natalie Portman, but at the same time, I'm probably rooting for Emma Stone to win. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I'd, I'd rather see Emma Stone holding the Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Been a lifelong Emma Stone mm-hmm. fan since Superbad. And she yeah. just had an interesting charisma. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> Did you have, would you have Stone at number two, Chris? Who else is nominated? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like Tanega. I think that Meryl Streep is great. It doesn't belong. Really, she's the, she's not the she's by far not the best part of that movie. I think Hugh Grant's the best part of that movie. Oh my too. god, Hugh Grant's good in that. Yeah, um, it's kind of sad to see him not nominated after yeah. I finally saw the movie. And uh, I haven't yeah. I haven't seen Elle, so yeah. just for, by the product of liking Ruth Ruth Negus' performance, not loving it, and not that I'm throwing him a stone a pity vote, but you know it'd be Portman Stone. Yeah. Then Nega, yeah, oh, probably who pair not even seeing L and then Street, Amy Adams, yeah. I guess and some of it is like the old Hollywood thing, like everything you do as an actress. So she acts, she emotes, she does comedy, she does drama. I'm talking about uh, Emma Stone, <laughs> not a lot of comedy in Jackie. Um, <laughs> she does the drama, fun. she does comedy, <laughs> she does, uh, but also she tap dances, she. Regular dances, ballroom dances, break dances. She sings her own stuff. You know, a lot of people make fun of her that her voice isn't great, but it's supposed to be like amateurs. I mean, yeah, that that whole thing can just like that whole movement can kind of go fuck itself. Yeah, of like the they didn't sing that well. They didn't dance as good as like professional dancers. Well, they're not professional that's, fucking that's dancers. Point. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'd rather have Emma Stone than yeah. like. You know, yeah. In old musicals, Adina Menzel. In yeah, I mean, seriously, like in old musicals, when you had like your like actor actors playing lead, you know, they you know do a little soft shoe and swing around the light post, but they weren't the big number. Like right. the big number was everyone else dancing. It was the scene changing behind them. And most of the time, people doing like backflips and crazy stuff were the extras. Yeah, you know, around the main actors. Yeah, and also like we're not critics. By any measure. Once this goes out, we are. Yeah, I mean, I guess we are by, like, every measure. (laughs) I want credentials so bad. But, you know, like, I I wasn't a huge fan of Les Mis when that came out, but people who watch, you know, half as many movies as we watch a year to be like, I can't believe Russell Crowe was singing in that movie. It's To me, it was always just like, you realize, like, they casted him on purpose, and it probably wasn't to make money. That movie was going to make money anyway. They wanted that guy singing those songs in that movie. They're in there for a reason, you know what I mean? Like... I just didn't have a problem with him getting by on that. Same way with Emma Stone and people talking shit about her dancing, which is like the new thing, is that the dancing was bad. I, I Cut it out. Yeah, that whole yeah. movement's pretty obnoxious to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut it out. But we, I mean, we do all, you know, we have three Portmans to my one. Yeah. We already have consensus. And I will say, everything you said about Portman and RU4, I agree with. It's, it's hard. But yeah, Portman for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with Portman. I would. I think I enjoyed like Emma Stone. I'll watch more times. Uh, I'll watch La La Land before I'll rewatch Jackie. I'll never watch. I'll never. <laughs> right. But I'll watch Jackie. I'll watch La La Land many more times. I'm sure. <laughs> this this topics this podcast topic is rewatchable movies. Which of these movies will you rewatch? That's what this is, right? Most Kubo. rewatchable actress. Yeah. 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 All right, well. Maybe some of those people in those seven-minute short films. <laughs> uh, all right, actor. Uh, we have Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling, La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. Can I, can I ping this first vote? Ping. Yeah. Um, 
My vote is contingent. Uh, I Casey Affleck is my pick, unless there's a strong pull for for Viggo Mortensen because I have not seen Captain Fantastic. If the room goes for that, I will fall in line. Which I, dude. I had a hard time between those are obviously my top two. I loved both of them in it. I do have Casey Affleck over Vigo though for my initial vote. I am no different. Casey Affleck is a, a number one that I'm very comfortable with. Vigo Mortensen is a clear number two in this category. I was not. I, I I'm not on the Denzel train for fences. Um, Andrew Garfield was a little too oh shucksy for me. <laughs> uh, and I thought Ryan Gosling was good, but not on that level. Yeah. In, in La La Land. So yeah, I originally had Ryan Denzel three. Um, I kind of had him there as a placeholder because I hadn't seen Fences. I watched it in kind of two parts. I ended up putting Gosling at three. I can honestly deal with those three people being not nominated. Gosling a little less than Washington Garfield. Mm-hmm. Um, clear top two, Affleck and Vigo, and I went Affleck. Yeah, Vigo's really good in the He is. He's, he's, he's fantastic. Really, that's, that, <laughs> I, I really I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed that movie. It would have been great if it had more, shown more love like an original screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good, but... They could, have, they could have hopped in the best picture this year, honestly. Yeah, great. Yeah. I have it over fences. Yeah, but I, I, I think Casey Affleck gave probably my favorite performance of the year. Yeah. It's just like so, such under pressure, the coiled energy, yeah. contained thing that comes out every now and then, and it's it's great because it's in contrast to in the in the you see the flashbacks from the past, and he's just you know cutting it up and breaking balls with like his brother and all the friends. It's kind of like a relief valve of how this guy used to be and how he is now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting how they have both those performances. It makes the latter-day performance a little more heartbreaking. You see how he used to be. Right. And, again, his scene in the parking lot with Michelle Williams is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. So, four out of four. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I like that we all agree on, on Vigo. Yep. Vigo's number two. Yeah. I, I abstained from Vigo, but I was willing to hear Oh. Yes, it's, my, it's, it's next on my list. My favorite Carpathian. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have Gosling, Washington, Garfield, David? I had Washington, Gosling, Garfield. <coughs> I had Gosling, Garfield, Washington. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think Denzel's a little little hammy and a little too uh, Broadway-y. You don't have a microphone, you project to the crowd. He still plays it like that. Yeah. I don't think it really translates to a movie yeah, performance, but he still is like... This is super intense, and yeah, I do think he should win the Tony again for this. He just did a play and filmed it. I think I think Andrew Garfield does better if he gets nominated for Silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think that he is just better in Silence. I don't understand. Oh, I thought I didn't. Even, uh, I, I thought talking. you meant you're not talking. Oh. <laughs> I thought you would have preferred him not talking. He has a, he has a better job here if he doesn't fucking talk. He was, I really wanted him to be a New Artist. <laughs> or, or the Red Turtle, which is also silent. All right. He doesn't have his giraffe-like neck. Anyway. Best Director. Best Director. We have Denis Villeneuve for Arrival, Mel Gibson, Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Chazelle for La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. I wouldn't mind jumping in here. Because it is the award I feel the most strongly about my number one spot, which is Giselle for La La Land. I agree with that. I, I think my more interesting choices may be two and three, but Giselle is, is a, it's a massive undertaking for all that. And they pulled it off. And my vote is uh, Jenkins for Moonlight. Giselle number two. 
<laughs> Not intentionally creating a tie. I wrote it down beforehand. Uh, everyone else could have also written it down beforehand. <laughs> if you can't tell, I've been playing this, flying by the seat of my pants. I also said Barry Jenkins, Moonlight. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm still willing to hear arguments that um, Damien Chazelle... Did he win Best Director for Whiplash? No. No. He wasn't nominated. That's yeah. kind. Of, that's kind of why I might want him to win director. Yeah. If you think about, all right, like what is best direction? Mm-hmm. Is it you know just what you see, or is it pulling everything in together? Music, cinematography, editing, acting, visual spectacle, all that stuff. I think you probably give it to Damon Chazelle there. Mm-hmm. But also, I just love Barry Jenkins' direction on In Moonlight. It's part of my cinematography argument mm-hmm. about where do you draw the line. Mm-hmm. It's just the way the camera's framed and how you see all these those scenes in moonlight. It's the all the colors coming together, the music, and it is probably the of these movies the one that is like least related to my life. Mm-hmm. You know, personally, sure. You know, not growing up in inner city uh, Miami as a gay man as uh, Chiron is, and the direction just pulls you into it. Just how it's framed. Of you feel you're totally in the movie, kind of everything. There's a lot of stuff that's really close up. I don't know. I just think it's really well done. I kind of want because I've talked to Britt about it. I kind of want Britt to rebuttal that a little bit. I mean, you specifically think it wasn't relatable, and I mean, you've talked about that. That's one reason you've kind of put Moonlight toward the bottom of your list on a lot of things, right? Well, I don't think it's as. Uh, I think it is. I think it does a good job. Like I. I know when I when I saw it uh, on a podcast or two ago, I, I talked about how it does a good job of making you feel what that character is going through, which is tough to do because it's not a naturally relatable character. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also the movie I felt most disconnected with, just uh, not in a not in a storytelling way, but in a in a like like you said, like life experience kind mm-hmm. of way. Uh, I thought it was really good, though. I don't know. For me, my, my vote on this just comes back to the argument I was making during editing. Which is that for me the big picture of and I, and I'm I'm going off your former definition of directing rather than the latter and, and of of the pulling so many elements together to make that work and that's and he you know he had a hand in the the songwriting right too didn't he no. was he I not mean, involved in that I mean I'm sure he was involved not but, formally credited but probably right, involved. right yeah yeah it's uh I, I don't know I was very impressed with. Uh, the, the spectacle of La La Land. Yeah, that, and that's kind of where I fell into it. Jenkins is my number two. He needs a clear number two out of these five for me. I mean, the line is drawn in between two and three here. But, um, yeah, it's this big, grandiose production that he kind of pushed. It wasn't like he got brought in to do this. This was his baby. To get funding for a huge movie like this after doing so little in the box office beforehand. I mean, not that it was like a $200 million movie or anything, but... To be able to do that, to be able to direct all these people playing the piano, the people that didn't play the piano, singing live. I mean, the the first scene in the movie alone is ridiculous to me, to be able to direct that. I mean, that is just yeah absurd. And the me. fact that it, it was it was in our top two, in my top two for nearly every technical award makes me think it's just a, that's, that's true, an amazing achievement mm-hmm. in direction. Because I may not reward it in that same way for Best Picture. For me... When something hits like uh, sound mixing, sound editing, uh, editing, cinematography, this, 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 and this, to me, it's it steers me towards director. And where we don't know, but you assume he's almost like in the bay in every one of those final. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a head coach in football. Whether or not he is, it's he gets credit and blame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the for the things you say about like you know 
Chazelle wasn't brought on to the movie or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's kind of a similar movie, a similar uh, you know theme for me for Barry Jenkins, mm-hmm. in that he makes you know it's such a simple story told in three parts that I just think he nails all of the technical elements. It's it's up there in all the technical categories for me too. And you know, not that your budget should be something, yeah. But like five million dollars to make that movie look as beautiful as it does is incredible mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And La La Land's you know six times that amount. Yeah. You know that it shouldn't just be a return on investment as far as you know who's the best director. Right. But I think he just does a great job making that movie seem you know magical. From it's just in a school in inner city Miami. It's in the restaurant and stuff, and it feels unforgettable movie to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and again, we're going into, like, picking things that are, you know, maybe don't matter some years. Well, you're trying to nitpick because I think it's... You have to. Yeah, it's close. They're, all, they're both good. Right. Really good. And, you know, making a diner feel magical is an accomplishment. And filming a successful scene on a freeway on the weekend in L.A. is an equal accomplishment. You know what I mean? True. It's, it's, it's hard. What do you think, Chris? We've been talking the whole time. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I really don't care between the two. Um, like I said, my, 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 my roundabout way of justifying, uh, you know, throwing another vote at La La Land, even though I don't personally like the movie as much, is that I think that Damien Chazelle is, this, this is his year to get his recognition. And yeah. we hate pity awards like that, but Whiplash was an underappreciated movie. From what I understand, Barry Jenkins is going <clears> to, <throat> if this is the thing that... This is like his Whiplash kind of... Well, th- this is the thing that, that Damien Chazelle has been working for for 10 years. Yeah. Like, we're not going to hear from Chazelle in a big way like this in a while. And recognizing that he did struggle. And I think that is also part of director. is And more than maybe the same as Best Picture. But in recognizing that, like, directors also just make the like the meta vision come true. And awarding that. The same way that, that Mel Gibson is nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. Um, a movie that was in development in hell for 14 years. And Arrival was on the blacklist until it was bought and made into like a big movie. I think this that is a, a heavy aspect of awarding a director is how they can take this seed and turn it into you know a film that is as big as it is. As much as I, I want to you know force us into a deadlock on Moonlight, Moonlight, La La Land, La La Land, totally fine giving it to Damien Chazelle. I'll throw this out there too, and it's I, I, I do recognize my own biases in in this category because. On the one hand, I think I liked Moonlight. I, I did like Moonlight, but I liked it the least of the four of us. Mm-hmm. And also, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies of the decade. And so I may be naturally inclined to like what Chazelle does, just because yeah. that first impression was such a huge first impression for me. And so I may I may overrate his his work from time to time. Have you guys ever seen Barry Jenkins' first film? Mm-hmm. Medicine for Melancholy. Medicine for Melancholy, yeah, with Wyatt Cenac in it. Mm-hmm. It was a random like blockbuster rental or Netflix DVD rental for me yeah. back when I was unemployed. And it's just like a black and white, two characters kind of walking through the city and talking. Uh-huh. For me, I have that progression from... I saw that movie a while ago, randomly renting it. And for that, that to turn into Moonlight is the next thing. Hadn't made a movie in eight years. It's got that same kind of internal arc of, you know, pushing it up the hill, formulating your own story. You know, yeah. it took eight years for him to, you know, come up with this thing. And the jump from, you know, maybe another bias. I've seen his first movie. The jump from that to Moonlight is insane. Yeah. But, you know, 
They're, I'm fine with just Chazelle too. They're both yeah. young directors. <laughs> yeah. That's and they both funny. have a lot of time to, you know, impress a lot of people. Yeah. I think that the the nomination is the reward for uh, Barry Jenkins. Not to denigrate that or anything, but it's going to give him a lot of opportunity. Like, yeah. Whiplash already was the the yeah. opening for Chazelle. Mm-hmm. This is when, what's going to let Barry Jenkins make whatever he wants to now. His, with an actual his La La Land. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of one movie, you know, yeah. indexed away from each other. Right? Yeah. So, I'm fine with giving it to Chazelle. It's also, like... If you want the crowning achievement in direction, it's got the biggest scope. It's insane that he pulled it off mm-hmm. yeah. and that it's not a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you know that Chazelle co-wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane? Really? Wow. Yeah. With uh, Josh Campbell and Matt Stuckin. Hmm. I do think this is, there's a clear line. I mean, for me, there's a clear line in between Chazelle and Jenkins, but an even clearer line between Jenkins and the other three, I think, for, for direction here. I like Denis Villeneuve, but I'm partial to Arrival. Actually, he's my fifth. I had him second. And Jenkins third, and Gibson fourth. I had Villeneuve third. I just love, I love Sicario. I just love the way Mm -hmm. he does movies. Yeah. Yeah. Love his approach. I'm very excited for Blade Runner. Yeah. He he does, in both those, in both Sicario and Arrival, I found myself holding my breath a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, great at directing, very tense. Kind of like. The last 30 minutes of Sicario are. Edge of your seat, yeah. and it's 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 just like it's a it's an otherworldly grip gripping sense that like I don't know why I'm nervous with Arrival because like everything that the aliens have shown has been very peaceful, yeah. But I still am like edge of my seat. Yeah, the entire movie is like the tension of what's going to happen first with the aliens and what's going to happen with other countries. Yeah, and that's that's it permeates that's, the entire film. Yeah. That's what really builds is that you you grow less worried about what the aliens are going to do and you're more worried about how we're going to screw things up. Yeah, yeah, humans. All right, so I think. Do we want to revote because we actually had a, a deadlock? Sure. I think me and Brent are sticking. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking. I'm fine with Chazelle. Yeah, I'm okay with Chazelle. Mm-hmm. So Chazelle gets it. Best director. The award TJ was most passionate about. It was. All right, so best picture. We're almost at the end of this. Uh, Arrival, <laughs> Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. And Cuba and the Two Strings. And Cuba and the Two Strings. <laughs> before we go, uh, before we go votes, do we want to say the, the results of the ballot? Sure. Yeah. So in, in preparation for this, we wanted to match what the Best Picture actually does for the overall award. It's kind of nutty. It's preferential ballot. Most other awards, you just pick your winner, and that's it. Preferential ballot, you rank them from one to nine. We did the same thing. So, for the education, a movie has to get over 50% number one ballots in order to win Best Picture. If it doesn't get that, you do a runoff where the movie with the least amount of votes, those ballot number ones get removed, and their number two becomes their new number one. And you add those number one votes to the total and see who what the new percentage is. If that's not 50%, goes past 50% again, you do it again and again. I think it's something that probably benefited Spotlight last year. Yeah. Is being a lot of number twos. So we have four people voting. We tried to do it, and we had a deadlock. <laughs> Between 2-2? Two, two? Was it a 2-2 two, two deadlock? Ended up being a... Uh, I bet two, it was 2-1-1. It was 2-1-1, and so we couldn't eliminate both films... And we didn't have a 50%. That's oh, a right. luck. So we added our friend Al, who's seen pretty much all the movies. We referenced him again. Added him as a fifth vote in order to break the tie. So in the first round of voting, we had two votes for Arrival, two votes for Moonlight, 
And one vote for Manchester by the Sea. So we didn't get to 50%. So by removing the lowest nominated film, which was Manchester, that the next vote, number two was Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Ended up a 3-2 vote, so 60% going to Moonlight. Moonlight won our ballot nice. in terms of like actual voting. Yeah. But it was kind of fun that we actually had a uh, you know had to eliminate one of the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Rather than an outright, yeah, you know, number one to begin with. It's confusing. So we'll <laughs> also just end up to debating it here. Real I'll quick, s- was there a, av- a few average about like if you gave like who had the fewest amount of points if you gave everybody's every movie a ranking from each of us? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between the five of our ballots, we had a uh, tie for number <laughs> one. Uh, both Manchester and Moonlight tied with like. Average 2.6 ranking, huh. followed by Arrival at 2.8. Then La La Land, then uh, Lion, Hell or High Water, Fences, Hidden, or Fences, then Hack, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Where's Hidden Figures fit in? Oh, um, that was uh, ahead of Fences, so okay. it was sixth. What did, uh, where did Al have Arrival? Al kind of tanked Arrival. He had it at number five. Mm. Or it would have been... The average um, Would have been the average number one. Because huh. it had two number ones, a number three, and a number four. That's interesting. So to go through our one through nines and have the debate process... Uh, Let's start at nine. Oh, sure. Um, mine, where number nine was Hacksaw Ridge, number eight was Hidden Figures, number seven was Fences, number six was Lion, number five was Hill or High Water, and then I had a rival at number four. And then I think my clear top three from three to one, Manchester by the Sea, Law Land, and I had light in my getting my vote for Best Picture. I would like to go immediately because my phone where I have my list is about to die. Go for it. I had Hacksaw Ridge at nine, then Hell or High Water, then Fences, then La La Land, then Hidden Figures, followed by Lion, and then my top three, starting at three, were Moonlight, Manchester, and then Arrival. And mine were at number nine, Hacksaw, eight, Fences, seven was Lion, Six was Hell or High Water. Five, Hidden Figures. Uh, four, I had La La Land. Three, two, one were Manchester, Moonlight, or sorry, uh, Arrival, Moonlight, then Manchester. It's my number one. Uh, for me, uh, number nine was Fences. Eight was Hacksaw. Seven, I'm trying to do this off memory. I think seven for me was Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, do you have mine? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see if I remember. Six was Moonlight. Five was... Yeah. Okay, yeah, five was Lion. I really liked Lion. We didn't get to talk much about Lion, and I was was surprised by how much I liked that movie. These windbags didn't like it, so we didn't get to talk about I it. Know. Uh, four or six, I'm you have kidding. five. <laughs> you shut up with four. your kidding. Four was four was Manchester. Three was Hell or High Water. I really liked Hell or High Water as well. Two La La Land, and one Arrival. I thought Arrival had I don't know. I really liked it because I thought it had themes both personal and societal, which I, I liked. the The personal theme being, uh, what do you do if you know? Do you still carry out your life knowing bad things can happen or mm-hmm. will happen? And then the societal theme being, communication is really important, and knowing the meaning of people's words is really important before reacting to them. And I think that's a important message for that's racist. For, I'm not your Negro. That's uh, really important before, uh, you know, in, in today's age. I think that's a particularly uh, a prescient message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is the main reason I really... Also, Arrival just hit in so many areas for me. It gave me... Uh, I, I had the... It might have helped that, you know, it was one of the first I saw in theaters. So I might be carrying that bias. The It, it, was, it was an emotional feeling. 
really. And I know that that's not the general spirit of Best Picture. If you look at it from like a, if we're going to one day boil these down into numbers and say this many dramas get nominated, this many whatever, and then people are going to make predictions off of what wins. Right. But I enjoyed Arrival the most. I thought that the totality of like the score and the message and the, I mean, it's for, for that movie to not get any acting nominations, I think is criminal. Um, not actually, but, (laughs) um, 13th. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was having the conversation with TJ is if you, if best picture is the place where you award the culmination of all of its achievements and all the other categories, then, you know, Arrival isn't your clear winner by what wins those. Um, but if Arrival is like a solid B, is never at the bottom of the list for any of these categories, then it it averages out to be the most well-rounded of, of the nominees. Mm-hmm. I've got La La Land almost even with it, which is, uh, I just, I don't know, it's, uh, it, 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 for what it is, it's, it's just, it, I think they nailed it. Which I, I really like. I won't. I will not mind. I, I'm expecting La La Land to win. I won't mind that at all. Yeah, I think that those two movies, what they has going for them, which isn't any reason to vote or not vote for something, but I do think that La La Land and Arrival, more than any other movie on this list, have the most staying power as far as possible Oscar winners. Mm-hmm. I think they will age well, and I think Moonlight, even though it's my pick to win, probably will kind of be forgotten almost in a, in a few years. Kind of like. Like artist, yeah, like doubt. you know what I mean, doubt. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, I think it might go away. And Manchester kind of this, the same way. It's just hard. I mean, those movies are so good at the time, and then movies like that tend to not stick around that long. You know what I mean? I, I, I do admit that played into my my voting process a little bit. I like rewarding movies that when you know that will be accessible 10, 20 years from now. Right? You know, to to the masses in a way. Yeah, my my, um, my vote is Manchester. I'm the only one voting for for that. I just think it is, I think it's a perfect movie for, you know, not every movie has the scope of the, you know, a uh, topical message or, you know, a big scope in what it does. It, it, ha- it lays out what it's supposed to do. It's a human drama between this small family in this really interesting suburb of Boston. Everything about it is authentic and is absolutely expertly done. The, the acting, yep. the writing, yeah. even the, I love the directing in it, it's kind of matter of fact and it should be because it's just focused on these characters interacting with each other. I think it's a perfect drama in terms of like a small scope scale. I think, I think people could return back to it kind of much in the same way as people return back to little 70s character study movies. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. think it has more staying power than Moonlight. I do. Yeah, I do Manchester. too. And it's one of, you know, uh, I think three of us are on Letterboxd now. It's one of five five-star movies that got nominated this year. Moonlight, La La Land, and Manchester, I all think are damn near perfect movies. Kubo is also in that list. Kubo! Kubo! Kubo. I know y'all weren't as crazy, a couple of you weren't as crazy about Lion as I think me and Chris were. But yeah. uh, And I agree. I agree with the criticism of Lion, which is that the from about an hour in to an hour 30 or so, it drags. Hmm. And it's unnecessary. Uh, unless the whole point was just to get Rooney Mara on screen, in which case I'm on board with that. Uh, I love her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the the first half of that movie is so incredible. That kid should have been nominated. Honestly, yeah, for the 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 child mm-hmm. Saru was incredible. They should have dropped Garfield, put Dev Patel there, and then put the kid in the supporting actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though I think that that kid's like pretty much like the only line he ever says is "da do." 
Ooh. Yeah, but yeah. it's so sad when he yeah. says that. Or, 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 mom, or mother. Yeah. Right? Mama. Yeah. Mama. Yeah. It's just a different yeah. inflection of the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I recommend Lion also to anyone who... Because I feel like it's one that would... It, it'll be the movie that pops up on the Oscars, on Oscar night, as a nominee that the fewest people will be aware of. Definitely. And I think it is the least seen movie all that of the night. And if you're listening and you've never heard of Lion, watch it. It's, it's really good. Yeah, and I would wholesale recommend all of these movies the word. Um, to anybody, save for maybe Fences and Hacksaw Ridge. I think that, that there is definitely an audience for Hacksaw Ridge. I just don't think it's us. I mean, we all had it at 9 or 8. And Fences also, we had um, long lists. Recognizing still the ridiculous performance of Viola Davis, but that alone can't make a movie. And there's a, there's a good chance that it's going to be Denzel and Viola, both or Viola, uh, both bringing home the big, it's definitely possible. Two, two big acting awards. I think it's got a snowball's chance in hell of winning Best Picture. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, no chance. And then moving up up the list, like I think that we have our outliers, um, like Hell or High Water, a fun movie. I enjoyed it, but no one's got it as high as you, Brent. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not building a definitive one through nine for us, but that's near the bottom. Hidden Figures is near the bottom, despite my not wanting it to be in Lions, probably in the middle. Yeah, I have hidden figures middle of the pack. Yeah. Same here. So we've got, we've really got a, a four-movie race between La La Land, La, uh, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, and Arrival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clear separation after that. Yeah. I do think Hidden Figures is a very important movie to be in this category just because it is such a crowd-pleasing hit. It's good to recognize one of those every year, you know? That's yeah. a story that I didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a true story. They three, they, yes, they didn't have to different invent. stories that all in themselves could be interesting movies. movies yeah. I never heard about. It could yeah. be their own movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast, and, and one of the people was talking about um, that they'd seen it and they were recommending it and saying that when they watched it, Hidden Figures, they were like, "No way! Like this is bullshit! Like really? Like John Glenn? Not, was it was John yeah, Glenn? John, John Glenn called and said like, yeah. where's the numbers person? I want her to run my numbers before I like before launch.'" Mm-hmm. But apparently, there's like there's like record of him like confirming that story. Like, yeah, absolutely, I would not fly without her confirming my numbers. I've got Hidden Figures at eight, which has to be the lowest on this list. And it was a great movie, but it just was like a movie to me. Like, it felt like I went in July, picked the movie I wanted to see, saw it, and was satisfied. And I never thought about it again, aside from the story. But the one thing I was told Brett the other night after a few drinks that I was like rolling my eyes at getting tired of was like. Oh my god, stop showing John Glenn being like the perfect. Like every time he was on screen, it was like this cheesy, like perfect smile, perfect teeth, and like him loving everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, we're busy. And it's like, I haven't said hi to them yet. <laughs> like everyone else, was, everyone else is like, we're misogynist and racist. And John Glenn's like, but not me. Yeah. <laughs> because, and I was talking to Brent, and I like, talked myself into this argument of, oh, he was probably the last, like, besides maybe the Apollo 11 astronauts. Uh, last person alive. The, <laughs> the last person to actually be viewed that way by the entire country. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. I was saying it, it's a it's a personification of his image at the time, and it's like spot on. Everybody because, thought he was just he was a golden boy for America. Yeah, yeah. And and the crazy thing about and I was talking uh, to Kelly about this when we were watching it, or right after we finished watching it, is the thing that everyone forgets about astronauts is they're all also like top of their class scientists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and like, yeah, he can't be dumb. They're like, yeah. they're like John Glenn. Like, in addition to his portrayal in the movie, is also like one of like the leading figures in orbital mechanics. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, on top of being a golden boy jock like astronaut, 
Yeah. It should make a movie about him and call it Leading Figures. Well, do you guys know what Damien Chazelle's next movie is? Uh, uh, Nutcracker. Is it something about jazz? It's a biopic about Neil Armstrong, and Ryan Gosling's going to be Neil Armstrong. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's going to dance in space. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I still like I still like Gosling. We've got friends who are like think they've realized he's a bad actor, mm. and... I don't uh, think he's I, a bad actor. No. I mean, Lars of the Real Girl was... I thought he was fantastic in that movie when I saw it. Yeah, he's great in that. Half Nelson, isn't that him? Yeah, yeah. really good in that. Drive, he's really good at Really good yeah. in Drive. Place Beyond the Pines, he's really good. He's yeah. the best part of that movie. Yeah. All of us talk about Ryan Gosling aside, I think that if your Moonlight, your Manchester were a rival, that probably puts La La Land at four. Unless we want a jockey for it to be... Yeah, it's, it's hard because... I mean, I've got it at two. I think Brent's got it at two. Two. Mm-hmm. Where do y'all have it? I have it at four. I have it at six. Six. And not that we have to play the averages game. No, 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 no. It's just, it's, it, it's is, it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I've got a rival at four. Mm-hmm. I'd probably have the lowest out of... David's got it at three. You've got it at one. one. Yeah. And you don't want to see your number two get bumped to number four because people like another movie more. But... Oh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking about it in my head. Yeah. About y'all's rankings. I do think that, like, years from now on the... Looking at old best picture winners, I think La La Land will probably age the age the best out of the top four that we have. I mean, it's always going to be included in modern musicals mm-hmm. as like a success. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a chance that you know it could have an artist. It's potentially could pull an artist where it seems a little silly or Chicago. You know, Chicago had big staying power there. Oh, see, for me, I think La La Land. The best part about La La Land winning is it it helps erase the. Uh, mistake of Chicago, <laughs> which, is, which is now Chicago doesn't have to be the last musical to win. Man, y'all must not have hung around like college girls in the mid aughts because they all own Chicago. I'm talking about nowadays, me. I'm talking about looking looking back at Chicago after Smack talky talk. You know, it's been 15 years. Uh, it's kind of seems silly that you know it's the year after 9/11. You know, you had Lord of the Rings, you had all these innovative film, and uh, Chicago is what we're left with for that year. So, so what? What it seems silly. Yeah, it seems a little know. silly that you know that flashy musical uh-huh. was the uh, representative for the best in film for two thousand two. Huh. Interesting. I'm yeah. just saying. I don't think La La Land will end up that way, but there's a chance musicals like that that seem light can feel really light and unrepresentative if you look back twenty years. So let's ask it this way: of the top of the four that we've established as our top four. Which do you think is least likely and most likely to wind up 10 years from now on some list of worst best picture winners of the last 25 years? Or well, like if, if each one won, which one would be? Which one likely? is which one is most likely to wind up on that list and which one is least? I think I think it might be La La Land for both. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, it's the one that people feel the most about. You know what I mean? It's the one that not everybody hates or loves it, but... True. It's the one that people feel the most feelings about. I'm not saying Manchester is least likely to be on that list, possibly. It's hard hard to just hate Manchester. Yeah. It's hard to not get Manchester in the way that maybe I don't get Moonlight this way. Because Moonlight is not really a a story as much as a, as you described it perfectly in the last podcast, uh, it's poetry on on the screen. And a lot of people won't get that. And Moonlight, a lot of people would watch Moonlight and hate Moonlight. 
Probably. If it wins Best Picture and say, this is it. This is the Oscar winner. And yeah. some people would certainly watch La La Land and have the same reaction. I know people who already don't get the love for La La Land. Mm-hmm. And I think Arrival could wind up on that list, too, uh, potentially. Just it's it's It could be underwhelming as it ages. It, I think it'll age well, but it could yeah. be underwhelming. But I just don't see anyone looking at Manchester and being like, oh, I don't get it. Because it's just a powerhouse performance, and it's funny, and it's... It's something that everyone can relate to, which is just loss. Yeah. Well, I, I could see Manchester being number one just because the story is so contained and so small that for the best film of the year, that is such a tiny story, mm-hmm. really small section of life, I can see that being, you know, in the most category. But like, but yeah, like look, look away from La La Land and Arrival. Like that's a lot of the movies that are nominated mm-hmm. are these like small slices of life. Yeah. Um, like Fences, like, I mean, Loving. Yeah, Loving. Also, um, the one that we were talking about a lot today, Moonlight. That was the third one that I wanted to say but didn't come in my head. <laughs> and to an extent, you know, La La Land is also a small story. It's like two people just trying to figure it out. And Best Picture doesn't always have to go to the biggest story. No, and I'm not saying it does. Yeah. Return of the yeah. King every year. Right. But, um, but I do think, I think also, I think Best Picture should also, hopefully, ideally be... Something that says something important. I, I, I would like to see that in a Best Picture winner. Yeah. I would also want a Best Picture winner to be one that's not snuck in and screened in New York and Los Angeles once and then like d- yes. does its full theatrical release in March, but that's not going to happen. Uh, it doesn't need to be the top grossing movie of the year right. by any means, but no. it's. I think it should be something people see. It should be in 2,000 theaters for at least a week. Like, yeah. that's not a lot to ask. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, A La La Land got 14 nominations, which ties the record, and a lot of people are like, you know, it matched All About Eve and Titanic, and you gotta remember with a lot of this stuff is like, you know, it's not the best of all time, it's right. the best of the year. There's yeah. always a context. Yeah, right. Like, sure. a rare uh, NBA crossover point I'm gonna make <laughs> is like, Steph Curry, like, last year got unanimous MVP. Everyone was furious because Michael Jordan never got unanimous MVP. It's not of all time. It's in comparison to the people of that year. Yep. It's Hall of Fame stuff, baseball, that was the same argument. That being said, we all agreed that uh, Arrival was the best picture of the year. All right, yeah. thanks. This has been the media bias. Yeah, I mean, I think we can revote, but I think it's going to be Arrival. No, we don't have to revote. I wasn't actually trying to force it like but, that. But I mean, we, we got to pick something. Yeah. Is it Arrival? Did no. we really not come to a consensus on film? No. Best film? I thought we did. No. I tried to make my case well, I mean, for Arrival. I thought was... we were doing like Al with bringing Al in to break the tie for the. Well, that was, that was to see what the ballot was like. Would we, debate it. would we do it like that if we had an actual vote? If we had a vote to cast as an entity for Best Picture, would we do it like that? Would we? Because we're technically, this whole thing is coming to a consensus as a single ballot. You know, we, or we would have had five winners for, you know, everything else. <laughs> right. What did you think the consensus was? Huh? What did you think the consensus winner was? You said you thought we came to a consensus for Best Picture. Oh, I just thought we had talked for so long that we did it. Not <laughs> <talking> about it. <laughs> no, but I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm still voting Moonlight. Are you changing your vote to anything? Uh, I'm fine with Arrival. Because I think we'd be deadlocked, Moonlight, and... Well, Arrival will still have two. Yeah. So then oh, we'd need three. That's the way we've been doing it, right? That's yeah. for the ballot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, mm-hmm. like, for most awards, if it was 1-1 one, one, and they picked the same thing, that would win. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's a rival. <laughs> the media bias pick is a rival. I yeah, I mean, my, my vote was Manchester, so right. it would have been Moonlight Manchester to a rival, so that would do it. Yeah, mm. cool. All right. A is a good movie. Yeah? Even if it's not your favorite movie of the year. It's a really good movie. It is good. Yeah. 
And I'm excited to once the dust settles on all this shit to watch it again and yeah, uh, see if see if I need to post an apology. Editor's note. Yeah. <laughs> In case I watch it again, they go, wait a second, this movie is garbage. My bad. It's, it's kind of fun that we award uh, Rival for uh, Best Picture because if you go by the predictions, it's gonna win nothing. Yep. It's yeah. not in the lead for anything. Yep. Same with uh, Hidden Figures. It's not, probably not going to win anything. Um, Manchester has a chance of not winning anything. Lion is not going to win anything. Because La La Land is going to win everything. That's the only tough part about a sweep. It's great if it's your favorite movie, but it's kind of nice to spread the wealth, too. To- yeah. 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 Yeah, Manchester, is, I think, could lose to Denzel in Best Actor. And could lose screenplay to La La Land if the sweep goes. Yeah. And La La Land for screenplay. Yeah. All right, I think that does it. Cool. All right. Finally. So this is a Talkie Talk podcast from the Media Bias. Connect with us on Twitter at the Media Bias. Email us via the Media Bias at gmail.com or our Facebook groups, Movies Bias, TV Bias, and Games Bias. We would love to hear from you for any podcast topics, especially after Oscar season's over. Yeah. Definitely want a clean sweep of some new stuff. Subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcatching app, and please give us a five-star rating on whatever thing to prop up our self-esteem. <laughs> and also to keep us doing this every week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.